0: Bonjour, film lovers! Did you know that you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio? We also have a website, realnerdspodcast.com, where you can find cool articles and other ways to listen to the podcast. You can also follow us on social, Facebook at Real Nerds podcast, and Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us at 7206nerds5. We will listen to it, we will play it, and we will probably commentate on it. Also email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Anyway, enjoy the episode. This is Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of moviegoers everywhere. I am Ryan. With me is Brad. Hey. Zach. Hello. And Corinne.
1: Howdy, everyone.
0: Every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we go see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. This week, the MCU strikes back after two years with Black Widow. Stay tuned to the end of the episode. We will tell you if we recommend Black Widow or not. Play the trailer and then spoil the film. We also talk about movie news, movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, movies we've been watching, movies, 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 and no response from the people that are on this podcast with me. Oh, wait, wait, wait,
2: wait, movies, (laughs) movies. That's the answer, right? Right, Alex?
1: I mean, we occasionally watch TV shows, too.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) every once in a while. Do we do we ever read comic books here anymore?
0: I do. Actually, I just got done reading two Spider-Mans. Woo, which ones? Um well, in Amazing Spider-Man right now, they had a uh arc called the Chameleon Conspiracy. And what? while I was gone, <laughs> they released a giant size finale to it. Ooh. And uh, then Amazing Spider Man seventy is prelude to Sinister War. So um a chameleon conspiracy. Yeah, it's really bizarre. The uh the guy who's writing his name's Nick Spencer, and he has a lot of really big ideas um for Spider-Man, and some of them land and some of them are whatever. I mean, it's cool, he's trying stuff new and in this one there's a bunch of chameleons trying to so chameleon is a guy who wears disguises and basically can change it to anybody. And In this one, he uh, tries to steal this certain (laughs) – it's really weird. It's really hard to describe it. Basically, there's more than one chameleon, and they're trying to get this MacGuffin, and Spider-Man has to team up with people to stop it. And uh, Nick Spencer's done a really long run. Um, It comes to an end in a couple of weeks, and his big thing is there's this villain called Kindred, who is Harry Osborn as a demon. And um, so they're revealing all this stuff. And the last two issues I read were okay. We the he, tar- uh,
2: at, the, at the end of the story, does he turn into a karma chameleon? Does he come and go? Does he come and go? Oh, whoa, oh, oh? whoa. Nope. Okay. <laughs> well, then I don't think I'll be interested in reading it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. these last (laughs) maybe five or six issues have been really continuity heavy. So if you're not reading Spider-Man, that's really hard for me to explain it to it. It's it's not a jump in at any point. No, because Nick Spencer's also, he does this kind of cool thing, but it's also somewhat annoying where he'll do a cliffhanger ending for an arc, let's say, and then he'll go into another arc of Spider-Man and he'll never resolve the previous arc. But he'll always do two pages. So he'll end an issue and then it'll do basically an epilogue of two pages of what you can expect in the coming months. Mm. And uh, so for the last, I don't know, seven, eight issues, it's been Dr. Octopus recruiting the sinister six. Okay. Um, but yeah, he, he does this thing where he gives you a little taste of what's going to happen. Um, Which could backfire because he's written, well, I don't know, a hundred and some issues of Spider-Man, so he better pay off. He only has, like, six issues left, so we'll see. I don't know, it was cool. The Green Goblin's been in it a lot, so it's been fun.
3: Hey, we should tell everyone what's going on uh, three weeks from now.
0: Uh, In three weeks, we're going to be doing our 500th episode, where I will reveal our 100 favorite films from the uh, 500 that we've, or 499 that we have uh, seen. Uh, speaking of which, if you have any changes, you have to give them to me tonight because I'm going to send the list of Brad tomorrow. So um, if something is snuck in there, you got to let me know. And what is not mm-hmm. going to be on there.
2: Um, I don't think family will be entering my list anytime <laughs> soon. So I think I, okay. I will say,
0: I love that. Um, the the memes going around the internet now are uh, just a bunch of family stuff. <laughs> um, they had uh, this one for Avengers Endgame where Captain America says Thanos is strong and it's freaking dumbass Vin Diesel. He says Thanos is strong, but family is stronger. and There's a bunch <laughs> of cars going through the portals. <laughs>
2: <That's
0: funny. laughs> uh, Brad sent me a funny one with uh, the Saving Private Ryan bit, which is <laughs> family worse. strong but not as strong as a sniper bullet. <laughs> wait, wait. Oh, my God, really? <laughs> because, remember, he, he's... Yeah, yeah. She looks like my niece, sir. <laughs> yeah. No,
2: I remember. I just didn't think anybody would dare go that dark. <laughs> they should. Oh, my God. What was the one that I sent you guys recently? I'm trying to remember. It was... uh, uh, Oh, yeah, the pawn, the Pawn Stars one, where it's like, how about a good storyline? And he's like, best I can do is family.
0: <laughs> yeah. and uh that's the only thing uh the hours of memes i've read have been more entertaining than the two hours i spent with fast nine i'm i'm not
2: gonna lie i want the jurassic park crossover now and it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility given the fact (laughs) i don't (laughs) at all (laughs) have you is jurassic world that precious
0: to you uh yeah it is actually okay (laughs) okay I think Jurassic Park is one of the greatest movies released in the last 30 years. I,
2: I, I didn't say Jurassic Park. I said Jurassic World.
0: <laughs> but it's, it's still the same world. So you're asking me if I want Jurassic Park dinosaurs and, and Furious movies. And the answer is no. Okay. All right. Fine. Fine.
1: Only so they can eat Vin Diesel, right?
0: Well, they wouldn't. They'd try to bite him. And he'd probably hold up the T-Rex's jaws or something.
2: Or he'd ride the T-Rex instead of a car, you see. He'd
0: drive a T-Rex instead of a car. There's another funny one, too, where uh, Mufasa is falling off the edge of the cliff and and Diesel's (laughs) car slides underneath him and catches him. And Simba's in the car. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, hey, Brad, you can tell us what's happening around town, too. That'd be fun. Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver.
3: This week at the 88 drive-in, the lineup, I think, is the same from last week. It's the Boss Baby 2, Fast 9, The Fast Saga, and The Quiet Place 2. And then the Holiday Twin, screen one has Black Widow and Cruella, and screen two has Boss Baby 2 and F9. And there's an Uh, EFP on Thursday, so check out the book here for uh, uh, six local films. Yep, local indie film is back, baby. APM free beer, five bucks. Wow. Very cool.
0: Depends yeah. What's
3: going on around town?
0: Woo. Hey, unspool that real news. It's real news.
2: All righty. Hey, Ryan, you like Night of the Living Dead, right? Yep. Did you know that since that thing's in the public domain, anybody can do anything they want with it? I did know that. Did you know that you can do anything, including animate the Night of the Living Dead? I thought we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I do not remember. you. Oh, wait. Oh, so you did it when I was gone then. Never mind. It came up in my news feed this week.
0: But yes, I'm okay with it. They have a lot of uh big stars doing it. Yeah being uh produced by warner brothers animation so i'm on board
2: yep all right then never mind serves me right for not listening to an episode i wasn't on yet <laughs> um uh but yeah this looks fun i'm excited to see this um I, I i can i couldn't see if they were gonna like do it in black and white or if they were gonna do
0: anything different with it but
2: i know it's supposed I to come
0: out in october so i'm guessing we'll get a look at it pretty soon do
2: you think it'll come to hbo max right away or we're we gonna have to first get it on physical
0: first Ooh, do not know what they're gonna do.
2: Kinda kinda hope. I mean I'll do it either way. I, I I'm I'm curious enough that I'll bite on this. Um more importantly, guys, uh from the Cannes Film Festival, this is straight off the presses. Paddington three is set to start filming next summer. And we're okay. gonna get the, the uh what? Corinne?
1: They say we're at. What? We're or- at <laughs>
2: You're breaking up, Corinne that's why I'm asking you to speak again.
1: <laughs> Never mind.
2: Um so yeah, um uh Paul King, Simon Farnaby, and Mark Burton are returning to contribute to the story. Um if your question was where they're filming it, Corinne, the answer is I don't know. Um but uh the uh I mean Paul it the only thing that I can confirm is is that Paul King is involved in the production, but it does not look like he is directing. So um yeah regardless we're getting paddington three so sounds like a lot of fun guys we can finally get that bear to save the world yet again because he needs to um it's going to be beginning principal photography in the second quarter of next year so we'll have to wait till probably 2023 ish to get this thing uh but obviously it will get a hundred percent in order to defeat those vitriolic
0: trolls on the internet all right and moving on <laughs> yeah, i don't know what you want me to say to that zach sure no
2: i'm not waiting for it i'm hearing a delay sound from corinne's mic so uh-huh. um anyway ryan you uh alluded to me, this to me this week this is kind of insane from scream factory they are unleashing not one not two not three not four but five
0: of the halloween movies in 4k <laughs> This is yeah nuts. it's cool <laughs> like the only thing I think's weird is one and, well I guess where's the wrong word but I, it's, they're 40 bucks each that sucks
2: there's going to be new extras that, from uh, the, according read, to the press. it
0: doesn't look like there's new extras in it they said they're going to be
2: sprinkling them in it doesn't look like they're finished yet which is why they're saying this is going to be released in September they've still got two months they might be cooking something up didn't um, the blu-ray box set only come out like three years ago no it's oh that's like
3: six years ago
2: six eight
0: yeah it's old yeah
2: it's an older set um but uh regardless this artwork looks nice uh i like how each of the covers represents the different masks that michael had um if people are wondering why you're only getting the first five a lot of that will probably have to do with the fact that the other ones are owned in some form or fashion by uh, buy-ins groups, acquisition of Miramax. So uh, you won't be getting those in 4K anytime soon at all. Um, but if you can still find one of the Halloween collections from Scream Factory, Shout Factory, um, which I believe at least the Bare Bones Edition is still available, you can get those in nice HD transfers. Um, by nice, I'm meaning uh, the eighth one is the only one that looks like garbage and it's kind of irrelevant. <laughs> um but yeah, look for that in September. The packaging that they have for this shit, Ryan, looks awesome. Like the like the 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 amount of goodies you can get in this stuff. Like some nice um, records Yeah, yeah The Martin, one with
0: the, all the records is like two hundred and seventy dollars, and I might end up biting that bullet. I, I uh, just make sure you do it soon. I read an email from Screen Factory; they've already sold like seventy percent of them.
2: All right. Well, they uh, if,
0: if it's something you want to do, just let you know.
2: Oh, you know, I, I mean, I, the
0: records look awesome.
2: I, I know. I, I would like the records. Um, I do have
0: to take into account that I just spend money making a movie. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I take into account how long I want my marriage to last, and then um, we go from there. Yeah.
2: You, know what the, you know what the real crime is, Ryan? They announce these things at the most inconvenient moment for us, <laughs> whether it's me having made a movie or you being married for how many years now? <laughs> uh fuck (laughs) 10 years wow (laughs) they're 10 years too late i know oh god but anyway um yeah moving on uh we got uh, a bunch of release dates set for uh set for this week and amongst them we are finally getting a release date on guillermo del toro's latest movie nightmare alley which is a remake of the uh 1940s film noir set in a carnival uh, with bradley cooper at the helm star so um ryan you just said tell me this week that you got the original nightmare alley on criterion so i'll be curious yeah, as, I, uh, what you think of it
0: uh, yeah I, today i went to barnes and noble because i picked up my kid i had a meeting in the morning <laughs> mm. and um when i picked up my kid for my in laws, he wanted to go to Round one at Southwest Plaza is like ah oh, perfect excuse for me to go to Barnes and Noble, so I got that and another weird movie.
2: Oh yeah, the story of Temple Drake. It's it, yeah it, we, weird or pre code badassery awesomeness. Oh
0: no, I've heard Do both. You. So oh, yeah, yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> either way, you're in for a fun ride with both of those movies. I'm sure. Yeah, well, um, I haven't I seen Temple it's... Drake. I haven't seen Temple Drake, but Nightmare Alley is fucking cool. Like yeah, I mean I
0: like I said it is half off, whatever. Yeah, I'll I'll blind buy Criterion's because even if the movie is meh, they usually have pretty great special features, except for Charade, o- which only has a commentary, which is really
2: yeah. Did you open up the Nightmare Alley um, package yet? Uh no. There's tarot cards inside of it. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, nice! A little, little collectible tarot cards. That's awesome. Um, this one came off of the uh, uh, presses. I think today um, or no, it was a couple of days ago, but it sounds like Marvel is no longer making actors sign the big
0: contracts for multi-picture deals. Um, so yeah. uh, I, I, I mean, at this point I, I read the quote with Kevin Feige and I kind of agree. You either want to make the movies or not because uh, they make really great movies and they make you lots of money. And I would only want to work with people that want to work with me too.
2: Yeah. Well, and they had people attached early on for multiple sequels who just ended up dropping out completely, like Hugo weaving with Captain America.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, uh, I forget I forget I was going to go with a point, but, um, I, they, I, well, I think the stigma of superhero films is no longer there. Um, some people like Scorsese and people like that have an issue, but, um, I, I think as the public and most movie going people, uh, it's just an, another genre now, you know, it's as common as horror comics. Yeah. I think oh, they, yeah.
3: don't, they don't, they're not relying on star power to sell. Like people are coming to a Marvel movie regardless of who, regardless of who's in it at this point.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I agree. It's because you, I mean, you're going off the backs of the characters. You know, I, I just read an article that <laughs> Zack Snyder's justice league is the highest rated comic book movie on IMDb since the dark Knight so (laughs) it's (laughs) uh yeah i mean i think the zack snyder fanboys are a little overboard on it but you know but i think people are at the point where too i mean i remember a time x-men and before that where comic book specific looks weren't the coolest thing i mean yeah batman 89 and batman returns had comic book likeness But then when you started getting into the Batman and Robins and stuff, it kind of went away from that stuff. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, fuck, we'll put Mysterio in a movie dude with a fishbowl on his head. Sure.
2: We'll be We'll be costume accurate. doesn't matter. We don't need to make them give them sleek black suits or anything like that. They can make it look cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like that doesn't bother me in the X-Men movies, but like if they're going to do more X-Men movies going forward, I want some colorful costumes. Um, but uh, and you're right about the star power thing. Like, I mean, to be completely honest, it seems like most star power, quote unquote, has been moving over into television anyway. That you don't need a name to sell a movie anymore on a basis. And screen.
0: now is the star power the actual comic character? I I had a. Agree- argue
2: yeah, that it is yeah the ip though well, definitely the ip is the money maker right now it has nothing to do with the actor attached unless that i mean that actor could have a solid fan base but it's not going to be enough to motivate a billion dollars in revenue so yeah but but iron man that's an ip that will sell a billion dollars in revenue hands down same with star wars you don't need name actors in star wars to sell a star wars movie technically i mean Who's the biggest? Just need the stars and the wars. Yeah, (laughs) I thought those the stars and the treks. Wait a minute, or the battles (laughs) and the stars and the Galacticas.
0: Uh, Speaking of Uh, which, man, those trek like box sets are so pretty. Yeah, finally, I was going to bring that up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, actually, yeah, let's segue over from Marvel to Star Trek. Brad, you 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 kind of actually you started sharing this. Please explain why you think we're only getting four of these movies and not all six.
3: Well, it's just uh, a hypothetical. But so, yeah, uh, we're finally getting the Star Trek original movies in 4K um, on on physical media. But they're only doing a four movie set instead of a six movie set. And um, I'm guessing it's two things. One, they're doing an expensive restoration on the motion picture. Um,
2: Which is what I wanted for a while because some of those effects plates needed to be cleaned up.
3: Yeah, but um, it won't that restoration won't be in this box set. It's going to be just an upgraded version of the existing motion picture. You know what's cut. funny, Brad,
0: is I think you're right.
3: <laughs> no, I know I'm right. Uh, and then later they're going to do like a singular director's cut uh release like they did with uh, Rathacon on Blu-ray a couple mm. years back. Um But the most bizarre thing is that it's a four movie pack, so they left out five and six. And I'm guessing because... Um, first of all, it's much easier to sell as a price point of four movies rather than six, so they can keep it under $100 at four in 4K. Like the Indiana Jones set, which is also from Paramount, um, is only a four pack, you know? Um, Although I'm sure they'll do a five when the next movie comes out. Um, So there's that, so it'll be cheaper to sell, and then they'll probably do five, six in Generations, because I don't Mm. agree with this, but they're starting to Mold this narrative that Generations is actually the last movie because Kirk's in it, rather than the first movie of Generations, mm-hmm. which sucks for longtime fans. But whatever, I have multiple iterations of this. You know, I'm just glad to have it. And then they'll do, um, what was the other first one? contact, insurrection, and nemesis. Yeah, as its own thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm also like wondering if keeping it to four also makes it easier because so many people have bitched about five, you know, they don't feel obligated to include five anymore. Cause they're like, Oh, you know, if it's not part of the set, you know, we can get away with, you know, people don't like it anyway, so we can just make this four mm-hmm. and make it cheaper. And, you know, they'll, they'll be okay with getting five, six and seven as its own thing for even cheaper. Cause it'll be a three pack.
2: And technically four concludes a mini trilogy inside those four. So yeah. it technically provides a conclusion.
3: Which they did on the Blu-rays. Um, I, I'm just kind of wondering: like, if they're doing the restoration of one, why not just do another three-pack of two, three, and four as the trilogy and then go ahead and still do the six-pack and the four-pack like they did before? It's, it's just kind of weird.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's
3: bizarre. But the best part yeah, I it, like is that they're using the original movie logo again on the box art, which is great. Uh, it's just like, you know,
0: i I'm guessing money plays a big role in it. And I don't know why they do this. Um, because I I finally I did get the Indiana Jones set a couple like last week. And the steel books look cool, but the outer packaging is garbage. Yeah, um so I'm so hoping flimsy. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I'm hoping that they take more time with the Star Trek. My guess is they're gonna see how well these the this set sells. They say, oh, now we have all this money, now we can invest in making 4Ks of quote-unquote the lesser movies
3: i think because they the next generation you know blu-ray restoration didn't sell as well it's like each set was like 60 bucks i think when it came out for a season and they spent a lot of money to upgrade that show um so i think star trek in general they're so gun shy um on top of people hating five um yeah that they're just like so tepid so they're just like we'll put out these four that people love you know and get them
0: I mean I don't know why they just don't do what Disney did Um, on Star Wars they all look really great except for Phantom Menace it looks pretty murky in Ultra HD and I think they just didn't fucking care on Phantom Menace yeah whatever who cares what it looks like I really do
3: yeah it's unfortunate but yeah it's money like it's so much easier to sell these
1: Time didn't translate very well what's that I said maybe the technology at the time didn't translate very well into Ultra HD.
0: No, because I have... I mean, I saw... Like the phantom Watch effects? Yeah. I mean, I watched My Fair Lady in 4K and it looked stunning. I really think it just comes down to money and how much I mean, people a, it, want it. it. Yeah.
2: I mean, shoot. It's a wonderful life and 4K looks amazing. So... Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, I mean... And I'm going to take in a stab in the dark and say that the original trilogy of Star Wars looks pretty good in 4K. Yeah. Okay. There you go.
3: Oh, yeah. Because they're also doing that, too, in Steelbooks. So Are they? The Ooh. The original trilogy. It's not 4K, but it's, it's uh, you know, each season in a Steelbook, which is also pretty sweet.
0: Oh, yeah. That one you posted. Yeah, that one looks great. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I love the colors. It,
3: like it's it's an easier sell if it's on under a hundred bucks. So, like, like I said, the Indiana
2: Jones one they did the four movies and, and
3: yeah, yeah uh, for like eighty bucks. Start, so
2: we just need to start admitting as a culture that Star Trek five isn't a terrible movie. It it, it just it um, just sucks compared. But it's <laughs> it's it's only because there's five other great ones, um, which vary in quality. But five is obviously the weakest one. But it's still a fun time.
3: The, I think the biggest tragedy is that, like, because of five, it, it, it makes people ignore six, which I think is a great movie and should be treated. Six is much amazing. Better. <laughs> but um, shit, yeah, man,
2: mystery in space with Shakespeare—it's awesome.
3: What they really should spend money on, because Shatner's like ninety-one right now, is his director's cut of five with the rock monster.
2: Oh,
3: oh, so, oh god! Paramount, you're listening. Get on it because you don't have
2: much time left. <laughs> My god. Give give him wa- give him this one thing before he leaves, please. Like, I think it'd Robert, be so fucking cool.
3: <laughs> I think Robert Wise died a couple, like three or four years after he did his DVD restoration of the motion picture. So,
2: yeah, because he's all over the special features for that thing. Yeah. So it it'd
3: make the fans really happy if he if he did that. So yeah, that's, that's Star Trek news. Yeah. Anything else? Wonderful. Um, let's see. I got more. Um, we got some. what? I got more if you don't. Oh, go ahead and go ahead with yours while I pull mine back up. We know what year Indiana Jones 5 is going to take place? What year? 1969. Because there are set pics of their shooting in Glasgow and the streets have signs on them in the windows welcoming the uh, Armstrong Collins and Aldrin home
0: oh
2: cool. cool
3: so it sounds like there's wait, a space wait. race going on wait a minute so if you're looking forward nine. To... what no go ahead, go ahead Brad uh, okay um, yeah so if you're looking forward to uh, indie-, indie punching Nazis again I think you might be uh, disappointed so I mean uh, n- unless they're faking ex- the moon Nazis. landing
2: or ex-Nazi scientists in the space race—you never know. <laughs> um,
3: I
1: say he didn't punch Nazis in the last one.
3: That's what I'm saying. It's like people don't like the last one because he's, you know, doing this all sci-fi stuff, and you know, space race sounds like more sci-fi stuff. So you might be—I
2: <laughs> don't know. He—he'll be punching—he'll be punching communists at that point, or like
0: all right, uh, I'll take him beating up commies. Sure. You know, I'll take Indiana Jones anywhere.
2: Yeah, how about that? I was going to say, though, 1969, Ryan, do you think he could team up with Cliff Booth? (laughs) I mean, stranger things have happened in this franchise.
1: (laughs) I want a scene of Indy running through Woodstock.
2: (laughs) Him and Rick Dalton punching hippies.
3: (laughs) It sounds, too, like it might be a uh, multiple timeline thing. So much like in Last Crusade, when you saw Indy as River Phoenix, um, This might be a flashback thing where um, something he did in the past. And Maybe they get
0: River (laughs) Phoenix to reprise. (laughs) Just put uh, some makeup on. uh, Joaquin
3: Phoenix. (laughs) Uh, But Um, yeah, it looked like something Indy did in the past might uh, have an effect on 1969. So that's what this might be about.
2: So. Yep. Cool. Yep. Wonderful. And then the last uh piece of news that I really have um uh, comes from uh I I I don't know if we ever talked about the fact that they were making a Barbie movie, uh a live action Barbie movie with Warner Margot Brothers. Robbie. Um yeah, Margot Robbie. Um but now we do have uh Greta Gerwig attached to direct it. Um so we might get something pretty interesting out of a Barbie movie, courtesy of Miss Gerwig there. Um I, I I really only have the question of what does a Barbie movie, a live action Barbie movie, look like? I'm assuming it will be something. Robbie. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my assumption is that it might be self-referential. Uh, of, uh, but like th- there is a quote here that I thought was pretty helpful in kind of trying to g- suss it out. But um, Robbie said like people generally hear Barbie and they think I don't know what that movie is going to be. And then they hear Gerwig is directing it and they're like, oh, well, maybe I don't. And that's where the quote ends. So, like, (sighs) I'm curious. Like, would you guys go see this? Like, maybe it's Marta Robbie. I totally, yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, and I loved Little Women. Like, I did not think I was going to like Little Women and I enjoyed the shit out of that movie. So I'll, I'll follow Gerwig down any rabbit hole at this point. Um, but yeah, um, I look for the Barbie movie coming soon. Looks like fun. Um, and then I guess, like a small little tease, bit, tease is that Lord of the Rings audiobooks are going to be uh, coming out that are read by Andy Serkis. And the only way I will buy them is if he reads them as Gollum for the entirety of the series.
0: So I would not listen to that. That'd be why annoying. <laughs> why wouldn't
2: you?
1: <laughs> he should only do the Gollum voice when he's reading Gollum.
2: No, yeah. he should do it for the he whole thing. Give me that. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh, that would take so long. Jennifer <laughs> came down the mountain.
2: <laughs> oh, God. Did Give we talk me about that, the please.
1: death of the week? Yes.
2: Um, Corinne, you sent this to me just as everything uh, was about to get started. Charlie Robinson from Night Court died. I'm 75
1: many- years old.
2: Yeah, I'm not too familiar with Night Court. Uh, but Charlie Robinson was a work, uh, was a, were the workhorse actor to say the least. Uh, started off with guest shots on mo- shows like Cannon, The White Shadow, Lou Grant, Satan Elsewhere, and Hill Street Blues. Um, he was in the sequel miniseries for Roots called Roots of the Next Generation. Um, and then he got a, a, started recurring role in the show Flamingo Road, which was a primetime soap opera from NBC. Um, and then he was cast in Buffalo Bill uh, alongside Dabney Coleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course he would end up, uh, playing the new clerk, Mac Robinson on Night Court. Um, has anybody here watched Night Court? I must confess, I've never seen Night Court.
0: Uh, I used to watch it all the time at, on Nick at Night. Um, yeah, me too. It was, uh, that would play all the time, Alf and like Perfect Family Strangers. Ties, Perfect Strangers. And then it, as it got later is when I watch, uh, would watch Bewitched and Dick Van Dyke. Hmm. Um, and I used to watch Be wish and Dick Van Dyke when I was sick, when I was in elementary school. Um, but Night Court used to play, uh, in syndication, um, at night as well. And oh, yeah, I used to watch Night Court all the time. Um, do, do the judge, have, Harry, he used to love Mel Torme and Mel Torme would show up on the show every once in a while.
3: Do we have a Night um, Court or is that yeah. a New York thing?
0: I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing major. Metropolises would. Um I don't know how it works.
1: I've never heard of anything like that here. But yeah, somewhere like New York or Chicago might have it. The only Night Court I ever watched was a 30 rock episode called The One with the Cast of Night Court. Where <laughs> Kenneth um I forget what happens. I think it's like Kenneth really wants like the Night Court cast to reunite, to get like a proper reunion and I think Tracy ends up like recruiting all the cast members, including uh, Robinson to come back and they are they're, they're playing themselves, but they're anyway, it's really funny, mm. but um, I, I've never seen the show night court. So watching that, I'm like, I mean, I, I guess this is something that somebody would want to see.
2: <laughs> um, you know, I have definitely seen him as in apocalypse. Now he's also in the river uh beowulf set it off antoine fisher even money and steam uh he would go on for later television in shows like the Birdie Mac show charmed house how i met your mother my name is earl key and peel and this is us as of late um his um his widow had this to say he was once referred to by martin landau as the greatest underestimated actor in hollywood charlie robinson was the love of my life husband father grandfather and great grandfather he was truly the working actor's actor And all of his passions, his craft took center stage with his family being the wind beneath his wings so he could soar to unbelievable heights. On behalf of my husband and family, I thank you for being part of that audience. So wonderful, uh, wonderful send off by his beloved uh, of a work uh, of a hardworking actor who uh, made a made an indelible impression on those within the industry and uh, has given some some of us something to watch at last or some people a chance to revisit something like Night Court. But so long, Mr. Robinson. You will be missed at 75. And that is news. I got one more thing. Oh, okay. Then never mind. We go to our senior correspondent, Brad.
3: I, I need Ryan's help with it. Seems pretty big. Uh, the Blackstone investment firm has acquired CGC for a ton of money. Yeah. What does that mean for us comic collectors? Or, or are we going to be, um, is CGC going to be unattainable for the little guy?
0: And nothing really, they're really just taking a invested interest where it's, they're going to make tons of money off of something like 10% of every freaking comic that's goes through that. Because comic books, a lot like video games. I don't know if you've been seeing the video game auctions. Yeah, Mario 64. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Are, are going for a ridiculous amount of money. And, um, it's, it's a commodity that, you know, old comic books always go up in value. They hardly ever drop. I mean, because something as silly as uh, Amazing Spider-Man 101 is the first appearance of Morbius. And I got it, I don't know, 15 years ago. I and mean, it's not the best condition, but even like a low condition of that book. So I got it for uh, $39. Now, a low grade of that comic is like six hundred dollars so comics always appreciate and value the old ones and so the investment firm is thinking it's a way that they can invest in something and they constantly get a return on it um i mean the first appearance of batman is selling for if it's graded is selling for something like three million dollars i mean i don't know who has this money and how they can invest that much in a comic book but they're out there um,
3: my big, big, biggest concern is that this company also invests in real estate and they have a pretty poor, mm-hmm. pretty poor track record of uh, buying up ruining people's lives and then buying up a ton of properties and then just turning them into rentals so
0: yeah I mean that's the, always the fear too with comic books and uh, my biggest complaint with um, Mile High Comics is he has the capital to go around and buy all these comic books and his prices are three to four times more expensive than anywhere else, so in essence, he's creating a market for the comic books by making the prices really high. And I just don't want it to be a point where the average person can't go into a comic store and get a comic. Um,
3: yeah, I'm which... worried that Blackstone, you know, if they're not seeing the returns they want, they'll they'll demand that CTC raise their grading prices, which are already kind of high.
0: Oh, yeah, I can't I can't afford to send them to CGC. Yeah, because it's it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, maybe later when I don't have the kid to feed and put through school, um, you know, I'll send them there. But
2: Ryan, what if it, I create a system called ZGC <laughs> and uh, yeah. and I grade your comics for you? Perfect. Yeah,
3: totally undervalued. I'll...
2: No, no, no. <laughs> is,
3: it Z, is it ZGC? It's actually worth <laughs> less with the plastic on it.
2: <laughs> no, Ryan, you got to tear it in half for it to be worth a
0: billion. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I guess the, the long story, uh, short story long is they're trying to get in an investment where they know people are going to pay a lot of money to get their comics graded because when they're graded, they're worth, you know, two, three times more of an ungraded comic. So mm. then the demand is there, so people are going to keep on sending it, and then they're going to raise the prices. And... Does
2: anybody read these anymore, or is it just about what they're worth on a dollar market?
0: I just told, I told you, you I read them.
2: I know you do, but does everybody else? <laughs> well, well, I mean, some people get
0: getting... go into yeah. it for an investment, but... Okay. I mean, if, they're,
2: if they're slabbed, they're not going to read it.
0: Like, it's for it, can't. Yeah, if, it, if it's slab, you can never read it again unless you want to break the plastic.
2: But they're meant to be read. I'm, anyway. Yeah. So Ryan, I like that yours are in plastic because you could read them
0: if you want. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's always a part of me. I mean, I have the first appearance of Green Goblin. I should probably get that one slabbed, but because um, I also have like three reprints of it, too. Um, but again, then I have to send my book away and it, it could take up to a year before you get it back. It's weird.
3: Dang. I sent I sent a t-shirt to a friend recently and it still hasn't arrived. It was like two months ago. So yeah, I definitely don't trust sending my comics through the mail.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe if they had an on-site grader at a Comic-Con and then they would grade it and slab it and give it to you when the con is over, then I'd do it.
3: I'm kicking myself because CGC was at Denver Comic-Con for years. I never bothered to,
0: to Yeah, top but even off. then, I think you when you give them your books, they don't grade them there. They just take them back and you have to pay them.
3: That's still better than sending them through the mail. Yeah. yeah. I know.
2: Anyway, that's news. Movies on
0: Blu-ray. DVD releases on blu rays
2: Well, Ryan, the Paramount Classics is uh, continuing to unfurl its... uh, library with a uh, 4k and a uh, standard blu-ray edition of almost famous the 2000 cameron crow picture you can pick that up on uh, uh from paramount classics if you'd like featuring um, the rod stewart song every picture tells a story <laughs> yes indeed you know what else is available ryan inexplicably i, I i've underestimated the fandom behind this movie Screen Factory is a collector's edition of House of Wax from 2005, Would you can pick up. Oh, yeah, that. I
0: I have it coming. Ooh, I
2: have not seen this film in a
0: while. I, it's overly long. Um, the Blu-ray that I have is really muddy and the transfer isn't very good. But there's moments of the movie that is pretty cool. I and remember
2: it not being abhorrent.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's not horrible. Um. The, I, I'll never forget, I, I reviewed this I think last year, maybe the year before for Blue Buried and uh, the special features were so obnoxious on it, it drove me crazy um, but I mean it's cool, it's really uh, has pretty uh, some really cool kills in it um, and the end where the house of wax literally melts it looks really cool um, you know? so yeah
2: it's something I regret not rewatching when I did the house of wax episode on Valley who, cause I, I kind of wanted to uh, kind of, I, I the, uh, the story's not the same, but I kind of wanted you know, to do no, a I compare knows. contrast for like, in terms of like how they're, the violence is upped by a certain generation. So, cause there's yeah, also uh, wax works and
0: tourist trap, which is kind of like the story basis for the house of wax remake. But yeah, the, um, the only, I think, Dark Castle film they haven't put out Scream Factory is *Gothica*, which is one of Robert Downey Jr.'s first movies he made after he got out of uh, prison, and he met his wife on that set.
2: That's the so, one where they had to take a risk insuring him, didn't they?
0: Yep. Yeah. And um, and then he repaid them by being sober now for twenty years. Uh-oh. So
2: that, that's a goal. That's a goal for me to reach at that yeah, point. Yeah, and you can do it. I'm already at year three. Only seventeen yep, more to go. I could do it, Ryan. Just send me, just send me more Cary Grant movies to watch. I'll be fine.
0: <laughs> My pleasure.
2: <laughs> I'll keep you off the sauce, you idiot. <laughs> um, hey, Ryan, do you want to get a really fun movie in 4K? Like a really fun movie that nobody should have a problem with? Yes. Okay, then you can get Mortal Kombat in 4K.
0: How about that? I know I'm fucking pissed. I've been trying to pre-order the steel book on Best Buy for like two weeks, and they won't let me pre-order the steel book.
2: Ooh, dang! Isn't it I mean, always I could, an issue though with Best Buy
0: about the pre-ordering situation? Sometimes I
3: just wait till midnight tonight.
0: I know I'm going to check at midnight. I mean, they do have Casper, Wyoming listed as a place that it's available. So road trip. <laughs> 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 The Steelbook um, is badass. Yeah, I
2: know. It looks damn lovely. Um, and then, and among other new releases, you can uh, get Jason Statham's latest outing with Wrath of Man on Blu-ray, directed
0: by Guy Ritchie, of course. I really uh, love that movie, um, mm-hmm. but there's no special features on it, so I'll wait till Black Friday when that's like $3. <laughs> I need to know if there's any Blu-ray features. <laughs>
2: um... Not a good
0: statement, but isn't that weird that a Guy Ritchie film doesn't have features?
2: I mean, they're not gonna pay for them. What studio is gonna pay for bonus features when everybody goes to streaming anyway? It doesn't matter for them anymore. It's like, and it's Lionsgate too, if I recall. So they're definitely not gonna give a
0: shit. Well, Lionsgate usually does a pretty good job of it. I literally just got a new Sicario.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> no. Oh, no, it's Warner Brothers putting out Wrath of Man. Huh. Dicks. Okay, come on, Warner Brothers, what the heck? Uh, speaking of Guy Ritchie, you can also get Snatch in 4K. So yeah, watch some Snatch in 4K. This uh, is great. Criterion is putting out a Bill Duke movie from 1992 called Deep Cover featuring Larry Fishburne. This movie looks cool, Ryan. I want to see this. Uh, it's an, on Uh it, A uniformed cop is recruited by a drug enforcement agent to infiltrate a drug smuggling ring looking to expand its operation. Um, and I like Bill Duke, so I'll be interested in uh, checking out his directorial work. Um, and then Kino Lorber's got us some, uh, nice, uh, killer titles here. You can get Alias Nick Beale from 1949, featuring the wonderful Ray Milland. Uh, you can get Larceny featuring June Caulfield and Shelley Winters. Um, and <clears throat> you can also get from Kino Classics, The Great Gabo, featuring Eric von Stroheim. Um, this is a movie that the only reason I know about it is because gabbo uh the the term the name gabbo ended up being carried over into the simpsons episode when Krusty gets canceled um but i would really like to see this movie it's from their library of congress collection so they they do actually tend to uh from what from my experience give a nice little restoration to those uh so yeah the great gabbo i might actually pick this up ryan and tell you what i think of it it's eric von stroheim so i know it might be crazy um, do it yeah, and then from Air- Warner Archive, you can get the Errol Flynn movie, Objective Burma, from 1945, featuring a uh, uh, a, a dashing Flynn on the cover, holding up a gun, ready to fight. And no
0: people of color. <laughs>
2: nope.
0: <laughs> that, that's a deep cut joke, because he's a racist. Yes,
2: yes, <laughs> that is true. Errol Flynn is a, Errol Flynn was a, ugh, ah, God. Stay no. tuned. There's going to be a ballyhoo on him. Um, <laughs> um, also, I meant to say that there on the Snatch 4K, there is a really cool-looking steelbook uh, for that. So if you would like a steelbook of Snatch, pick up Snatch. Um, and also, the recent SpongeBob SquarePants movie, Sponge on the Run, is getting its Blu-ray release. You can also get that movie along with uh, Sponge Out of Water and the original uh 2004 classic, The SpongeBob SquarePants movie, uh, in a three-movie Blu-ray DVD set.
0: I, I actually like, uh Sponge Out of Water. Am I the only person who loves the second SpongeBob movie? I haven't
2: seen it yet, but everybody keeps telling me it's just fine.
0: It's really bizarre. He talks to a dolphin at one point. It's really funny. But
2: they talked to David Hasselhoff in the
0: first movie. Of course,
2: it, it doesn't
0: matter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
2: if, if Ryan did, gen- people genuinely have a problem with him talking to a dolphin?
0: <laughs> no, I'm just okay. saying that it's bizarre. Yeah, my it, kind I, of humor.
2: I'd like to go back to the original series and see, like, just like go back to like how the the original first three seasons, if I recall, like have some ambitious animation for a what's well, essentially a children's cartoon, <laughs> like just like absolutely not giving a crap of how like irreverent they can be. Um, yep, and yeah. Uh, that is Blu-rays.
0: Forgot we watch uh, films.
3: Go ahead, Brad. Sorry, As I was gonna say we forgot to mention in news. Uh, Jackass Forever trailer is coming on Friday.
2: Oh yeah. Well, we we will wait till next week
0: to talk about it. Then now, won't we?
3: Well, they have promo pictures which are pretty fun. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, the
0: know. one with like Knoxville getting like flown in the air
3: uh, <laughs> after getting hit by the bowl, yeah. yeah, then
0: yeah, and Pontus. I don't know how high he is. <laughs> In the air, getting shot out of a cannon into a lake. I think
2: Jeff um, Tremaine's gonna cut Bam Margera out of the movie since he had to have a restraining order against him. Oh, yeah, he's not in it. Oh, they took him, they really took Bam out? Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. He, he got fired. Good.
3: Um, they they added some new people, like there's actually some people from Mythbusters, Mythbusters in it. Fun. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and some other, uh, you know, like stunt. That's groups, awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's I'm, dope. I think it's fun that they they the title is Jackass Forever. So,
0: yeah, I I mean I, I'm down to go just watch people make jackasses of themselves and get hurt. <laughs> no way, dude.
2: <laughs> I'm just happy that we Akuna is getting some getting some work again.
3: <laughs> I I saw one comment on the thread and it was just like I'm there opening day. I was like, me too, man. Me too.
0: We <laughs> yeah, will be there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they'll ever top a flying dildo in 3D, but (laughs) we'll see. Is that genuinely your favorite moment in Jackass 3D? Uh, No, it just always stuck out to me that they would spend the time to make sure that the dildo was flying across the screen in 3D. No, that's okay. That's fair. I was going to say, like,
3: Phantom Cam is
2: not cheap. So, yeah, they definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah they choreographed the shit out of that the one thing i remember the most from jackass 3d is the shit the shit volcano that they did <laughs> <laughs> that thing was dumb.
0: <laughs> remember
3: when odie uh, what... stuck his wiener through the hole and the scorpion tried to like <laughs> pinch it
0: i always love his face where he's like ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> this is another one that this is another one that like
2: always kind of brings like a joy to my 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 uh my mind is the—they're recreating the Memorex commercial where they're sitting in the chair and um, having something blast them away, <laughs> yep. and it's just a, a fighter jet engine. <laughs> just, they're just flying all over the place. I fucking love that. That movie is fun.
3: <laughs> How you doing, Corinne? <laughs>
1: uh, bunch of boys talking thinking, about? Boy stuff. I was oh, just God. thinking, like the day that that movie comes out, I'll be home and I'll be watching something like Casablanca or Charade or. I was thinking, like, oh, I should ask Ryan to give me a Cary Grant recommendation, because Lord knows I ain't seeing Jackass for.
2: They they, they
1: added a lady to the new lineup. Jackass
2: is fun. Jackass (laughs) is Jackass is for everybody, right? It's not just a guy thing, is it? No, it's awesome. I was gonna say,
1: I'm gonna be home watching a real piece of cinema.
2: It's it's completely fine, Corinne. Like you are more, you're technically more than right to do so. I got indoctrinated last minute into the jackass fandom. (laughs) Anyway,
0: that's Blu-rays, guys. (laughs) We watch films and TV shows throughout the week in a segment I call What You've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Corinne, start us off.
1: All right, well, I've been watching quite a bit. Um, We'll save Loki for whenever you guys go. Um, All right, so I caught up on season two of The Owl House. They've had, I think, like five episodes come out in the last couple of weeks, and I just hadn't really gotten around to watching them yet, but caught up like this whole uh, just like sat down on Saturday and binge watched all of them. And it's still a really good show. They're keeping um, a lot of the plot threads from the season one finale and kind of picking up on those and starting to answer some of the questions that you had of like, hey, what's going on? Like, what's the origin story for this character? And what's the whole deal with like this evil plot going on? So we're starting to get like little breadcrumbs. And with season one, there were, were, I'd say like every other episode, it was like pretty much self-contained, but now it's like, the plot lines are still self-contained, but there's always, like, a little thing at the end. A little, another breadcrumb to, like, tie it into the overarching storyline. So that's pretty fun. I finished watching season two of Haikyuu. Um, there is a season three dubbed into English somewhere. I need to find it. Um, but I will catch up on that. Uh, Haikyuu is the volleyball anime. It's excellent. I highly recommend it. Um, I also re-watched Nozaki-kun, or Monthly Girls Nozaki-kun, which is a shojo anime. Um, it's on Netflix. I highly recommend that as well. Then for my movies, I watched Crimson Peak, because I saw it was on Netflix. And I was like, shit, I've never seen this, and you nerds are always recommending it to me. So I'm like, I gotta sit down and watch this. And you know what? It was uh, pretty good. Like, I would watch it again, especially nice. now that I know, like, where all the scary parts are. <laughs> so I'm, like, mentally prepared now. Because, like, especially that first, like, ghost sighting, I was like, nope. <laughs> and just kind of, like, rolled out of there. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, it was good. There was um, a lot of elements I could tell that were lifted from Jane Eyre. There were a lot of elements that I could tell were lifted from Rebecca, So, I mean, it was definitely playing into that, like, gothic romance, and I really liked that. Um, The characters were all cool. I guess at the end, I was kind of waiting for, like, a follow the house of Usher sort of moment, and that didn't really come, um, mostly because you kind of have to have that final shot. I won't say what it is in case somebody hasn't seen it, but it's like, I was still waiting for, like, the house to fall down, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the Arrow—I have the Arrow limited edition Blu-ray. It's really nice.
1: And Tom so, Hiddleston was—I
0: know—sexy as a motherfucker. I'm just—I'm—I'm I'm just really glad you finally
2: embraced the power of Crimson Peak, Corinne. It's very, very, very happy.
1: I think it's one of those movies I would have to rewatch again just to like really pick up on all of the imagery because the first time I'm just like trying to absorb the story. And I gotta mm-hmm. admit, the internet had spoiled one of the bigger twists for me as to the whole dynamic between two of the main characters. won't say which two, but I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Right,
2: right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, So I knew that twist, but I was just, you know, there were still elements of it that I was trying to pick up, like as the characters are finding out about everything. And <laughs> I was really, really shocked when a certain guy in period clothing didn't die at the end Mm -hmm. i was like (laughs) "Whoa!" i i
2: that's a movie corinne that after i saw it i became firmly convinced that if we do 2015 film explosion redo again that i would have to put uh uh, put crimson peak above uh my original number one choice for that year because i really loved it it's such a good movie (laughs) And you're right, go back again, because there's visual cues in there and little details that Del Toro puts in there that are just fucking lovely to look at.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like the whole, the house is like sinking into the ground was a little over the top, but I did kind of, I liked how they didn't really draw attention to it in an obvious way, but it was just kind of like every time the characters ran by like that big staircase or that kind of foyer area. Like, there was even more of that red clay on the wall, so the house looked like it was bleeding even more. And I was like, I appreciate you didn't linger on it, but it's still a little, like, I don't know, <laughs> cliche. But, uh, con-
2: considering, though, how how in your face it could have been, yeah, like, it's nice to know that it's just, like, it's an aesthetic rather than, like, you know, something that he's beating you over the head with.
1: There was one scene... Um, it's like when she goes to find tom hiddleston's character at the hotel and he like you know she's like oh no he left and he comes out and he's like no i'm still here and there's this exchange of dialogue that is lifted almost word for word from jane Eyre. and i literally screamed in my room i'm like oh my gosh they stole that from jane Eyre! you hacks but no it was nice it was a cute reference
2: Del Toro said that he was drawing off of as much of those those era that era of writing and reference he, like there's interviews where he's referencing amongst other things like stuff like weathering heights as inspirations for this movie so he's he's drawing off of all those past influences it's really damn cool
1: mhm <laughs> yeah i could tell that the uh, the sister character she felt like a mrs danvers Sort of person,
2: (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's it's fucking dope, isn't
1: it? Oh my goodness, I think I could talk about that movie for a lot longer, but I'll move on. Uh, so other than Loki, the last thing I watched was this movie on Netflix called Wish Dragon. It's another one of those, um, as far as I understand, another one of those, like kind of like a DreamWorks style animation that was made with a Chinese company. And it was released like simultaneously in English and in Mandarin. And um, it's a really good movie. I highly recommend everybody go check it out. It's on Netflix. Um, the premise, or like at least the basic concept, is Aladdin in modern-day China. But it really grows beyond that. And I saw one of the YouTube channels I kind of follow had recommended it. And I actually didn't watch the video until after, and I'm really glad because it did kind of spoil some stuff. But she made the point of saying, like, it has some of these, like, familiar beats, but then it kind of goes in a different direction than what you're expecting. And I was like, yeah, that actually is a pretty good way to explain it because you meet the Wish Dragon and you're like, oh, he's basically the genie from Aladdin. And it kind of feels like that initially, But then as the movie goes on, you really see, like, that's not the case. And he gets a lot more development than you think he would. So, and there's, like, some cute dynamics, cute animation. There's really nothing to lose in watching it. It's just a very heartwarming, uh, very adorable story. So I recommended it to Ryan. (laughs) had told him that he and Kellen should watch it. But, I mean, any of you should watch it. It's a great movie. Wish Dragon, it's on Netflix.
0: Nice. I mean mm. Kellen's watched Luca like every day, so as soon as he's done with Luca, then...
1: Well, I mean that's a good movie too. But you know, maybe you show him Wish Dragon hoping it'll get him off of Luca, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no. He'll probably just tell me Silencio Bruno. I'm like, all right, sure. <laughs>
1: That's all I've been watching, other than which we'll get into.
2: Cool. Uh, I watched a couple of things. Uh, I uh, picked up some Criterions from uh, the Criterion sale, uh, and one of them, of course, was Bringing Up Baby, Uh, uh, at last, a nice restoration of this movie, Um, if listeners might recall last year when... Ryan and I were discussing bringing up baby's uh, ill transfer on HBO Max. So this is a welcome, welcome addition to the I criteria. Have to say, I'm doing
0: pretty good on my releases. Like I begged for last action hero. I've begged for bringing up baby and they've both been released and how I've wanted them to be released.
2: Cool. Now, I, now I've got a list of movies that I'm going to give you that you're <laughs> going to start begging for on air, man.
0: I'm already trying to pull for super Mario brothers.
2: <laughs> Ryan. The Horn Blows at Midnight from 1945 needs to be on Criterion. It's an insane movie about an angel destroying the world with a trumpet that ends with a coffee set piece in the middle of Times Square. We need this movie in HD. Anyway, back to Bringing Up Baby. Um, bringing Up Baby um, is a movie that it took me a long time to love this movie because the premise of the screwball comedy intertwined with the with the raising and keeping alive of this tiger <laughs> or this leopard sorry this leopard is just was not something that i was into when i was younger but i will tell you especially going back um this week th- i love i think it is uh, one of the defining movies in a sense of the Cary Grant persona, in the respect of women pursuing him, because of oh, just wow. how 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 his character interacts but that's with my him. car. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: Cary, Cary, Cary!
2: My favorite moment in the rewatch, hands down, is when uh, Hepburn pretends to be a gangster character to get out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> and also when she's carrying in the other leopard and she they're just like that's not that's not our leopard (laughs) she just gives this delayed reaction look of oh my god um and i mean what other movie ends with a bunch of dinosaur bones crashing to the ground i mean this shit's wonderful man um but more i mean not more importantly the, the whole movie's great but the Extras on this thing are packed and in a way that I was not expecting because we get we you get a, a Howard Hawks documentary from Germany, um, which is a nice, valuable artifact that has some of his last interviews done um, and some really good revealing stuff in there. But um, we are treated in this collection to a 35 minute interview with Cary Grant. Um, that was not really an interview, as it turns out. It's actually a Q and A from, uh, a screening after a screening of bringing up baby in 1969. Um, I mean, Ryan, I I don't, I don't want to spoil it if you're going to talk about it later on in your what we've been watching,
0: but we can talk about it now. It's fine.
2: Let's do it that the, the Q and A is kind of remarkable because you act, you are actively listening to Cary Grant get comfortable with talking to an audience. It's like sort of, if if I'm getting my history correct, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, this is this is before he ends up doing the Evening with Cary Grant lecture circuit. Um, I believe so, yeah, because this took place in sixty nine. Sixty nine. I don't think he did the evenings
0: until um, the eighties or over oh, the yeah over the eighties. Oh wow, I thought it was. I think yeah, he he passed away in eighty six, and he died before he did one of them. Right. Um, anyway, though you you get to hear him in
2: the first like five to ten minutes he sounds very uncomfortable <laughs> um or at least he's trying to get a get a groove going and well once you get him talking about the 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 technicality and the efficiency of comedy and the way to make comedy work like he starts going off into like it's almost like he's just listing off, like, this is the job. Like,
0: he's, he's very practical about it.
2: <laughs> um, yeah,
0: it's, uh, like I said, that's the most I've ever heard him speak, um, about acting and an- answering questions. And you're right. He opens up and you can tell he's a little nervous and he's mentioned many times he actually doesn't like getting in front of people, which is really bizarre or talking about himself, but it's really bizarre because he started out as, you know, vaudevillian and on broadway and um
2: but there has always been in that in the cary grant story whether it's through the new book that you got or um the series that adam roach has been doing is that he you know he's a person who was you know defined by crawling into the skin of cary grant and leaving archie leach behind so it's, yeah there's always been a duality about him and him having to wrestle with that you almost get to hear this in 35 minutes
0: like yeah that's it's really fun as you hear when he loosens up he's really funny mm -hmm. and you know he talks about you know i was doing this movie and i don't even remember doing it like why was (laughs) i in this picture why was i standing there and um if you if you how many films did
2: he do all told again like the number two 72 if i did 72 movies i don't think i'd remember why i was where i was <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: and then he, he also has the judy 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 story where that is funny as shit he doesn't think he ever said that but impersonators of him have said it so it was attributed to him mm-hmm. um and he says i don't know maybe when i saw judy guyland um it's, <laughs> it's funny and he uh, you know showers praise on tony curtis because Tony Curtis obviously does an impression of him in some like it hot. Um, mm-hmm. And he says that he loves it. And it's just really cool listening to him talk. And you can see why people gravitate towards him because he is really charming. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really nice treat to hear him um, there, talk here, about the film. Here's an aside
2: on that, Ryan. Have you ever heard have you ever watched the AFI tribute to James Cagney at all? on youtube at the end of it when he talks he's talking to the audience he's like going over his life and what it means to get this award and he he clarifies for the audience at the end i never never said you dirty dirty rat what i said was judy 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 (laughs) you hear jimmy cagney (laughs) doing a Gary grant impression (laughs) It's 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 awesome i love it um, But yeah, if you're looking for something to pick up in the Criterion sale and you've been liking the Cary Grant talk from Ryan or from myself, you need to pick this up. This is an absolute treasure to have in your collection. Hands and down, And
0: it's a, a fantastic film.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's Howard Hawks doing screwball comedy. You can't go wrong. Again, if the premise of Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn hanging out with the baby leopard is sounding goofball-y to you, trust me, it took me forever to love this movie. and And you will get on board with it, like... Uh, probably quicker than i did um anyway moving on though from cary grant to um the wonderful glenda farrell and barton mclean um last week i discussed uh kicking off my uh deep dive into the torchy blaine series i started off with smart
0: blonde
2: and uh guys Uh, i what you said smart blonde smart blonde yes smart Blonde. hey ryan by smart blonde, we mean, of course, Torchy Blaine herself, the lovely Glenda Farrell. She, she's a feisty reporter who's going to get the story in spite of the fact that her boyfriend is constantly trying to tell her, you can't solve a mystery, but then she's like, oh, yes, I fucking can, and she solves that fucking mystery, Ryan. Um, and she does it again in the sequel to uh, Smart Blonde, which is Fly Away Baby. Now, if you'll recall, at the end of... Uh, Smart Blonde it is revealed that Torchy and Steve uh played by Farrell and McClain, uh they were they are set to be married and the movie kind of picks up with uh the thought in mind that they haven't had a chance to get married yet because everybody keeps avoiding one another <laughs> um amidst this a uh, a diamond owner uh, a, a a diamond collector has been murdered uh, and the most likely suspect is the son of a, uh, the son of a newspaper owner slash reporter for a rival newspaper who is set to do a race around the world in several different aeroplanes, uh, by just basically flying from one place to another and just, you know, you're covering the different cities you're going to on this little journey and whatnot. So Torchy and Steve are trying to solve this mystery and Torchy figures out, well, the only way that I can be sure of my hunch is if I follow this man in his little airplane race with an airplane race of my own. So she joins in on this crusade. Meanwhile, uh, Steve and Torchi's mutual friend, Gahagan, has retired from the police force. But we don't know exactly what he's doing, but he's clearly ashamed of it or doesn't want to be found out. Spoiler alert, he ends up being a private investigator. It doesn't matter, though, because he's delightful to watch and charming to uh, to admire. And anyway, uh, this film is... uh just as good if not a slight bit better than smart blonde for me because you get a bit more expanded interactions with bart McLean and uh glenda farrell but uh you also get something that i have just started to learn to embrace fully from 30s hollywood uh which is airships uh the climax of this movie takes place on a zeppelin um now unfortunately it is uh, emblazoned with nazi uh a- a- embology in it and uh, that is unfortunate to look at um, that being said, though, this movie ends with something not quite as no insane ticket. as Madam's. <laughs> no, Ryan, 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 t- t- I'm just going to spoil this for you, and if you watch it later and you're just like, oh shit, this was the greatest thing ever, I'll be like, I know, so when they discover who the actual murderer is, they find out that this guy has uh, checked in on her assumed name inside the Zeppelin. And just as they're about to catch him, he's already ready with a parachute going like, you'll never take me alive. He stumbles in the chase, falls down through the Zeppelin, but pulls the parachute too quick, and it doesn't unfold and he plummets to the ground the climax on a zeppelin guys airships were so big back in this day and this one is not the best airship sequence in a movie but it was unexpected uh in a series that seemed like it was keeping close to the ground instead it went all the way up to the sky uh so yeah i'm enjoying the torchy blaine series i really like glenda Farrell's. um attitude and gumption um, in the series thus far. And I think she works wonderfully with Barton McLean. So I'll be keeping you on track for the next seven Torchy Blaine movies as I go through one each week. Um, And then on that note, I went back to pre-Code Land uh, with the recommendation uh, to watch a movie called Strangers May Kiss Uh, stars Norma Shearer, um, who is a star that I'm looking into for some of my Jack Benny research. And uh, the movie deals with Norma Shearer playing a woman who uh is in love with a uh, uh love with a man uh but they have agreed to stay friends and meanwhile she's kind of sorta not really but also kind of involved with another man played by Robert Montgomery she basically doesn't believe in marriage um and it's a pre-code movie that basically uh, uh addresses the idea of uh like free-spirited love and the idea of monogamy And Norma Shearer is, she's a, she's a gal that I've only watched in a couple of movies from like the divorcee, uh, down to the women, but she is wonderful in this film. She gives a couple different speeches in this movie about how women are expected to behave in this time, um, particularly within the third twenties and the late twenties, early thirties that are, seem so revolutionary for the time that they're made. And once you realize that they're pre-code, you understand that amongst the other things that are tampered down, um, once the code is in full effect, are speeches like these, because it feels so modern. Um, the third act, unfortunately, becomes a little bit too wrapped up and convenient, but not before she gets another great speech about emotionally taking back power from uh the man that she had been following across the world um and only to be shunned and rejected she it's almost like she reclaims her power but the ending doesn't really satisfy that by the end um it's still worth a watch i mean ryan we've talked about this before like it's it the movie gets really good and then it gets tied up into a bow all too quick (laughs) because you've got to just you've got to end it on a happy note of some sort or like it's got to fall within some kind of moral guideline um it's a movie that I think you might like, Ryan, in that respect. Um, I still haven't seen Merrily, We Go to Hell yet, which is the other one you recommended, uh, the Dorothy Arzner one. But mm-hmm. I I, I, th- I feel like the power of Norma Shearer's performance might work better for you than it sounds like Merrily, from Merrily, We Go to Hell worked for you. Um, so if, you, if you're interested, I will, uh, I will gladly uh, lend you my copy once I... Um, uh, once we meet up again and, uh, cause I, I picked up a physical copy of it pretty quickly after renting it. And I, I, I just damn enjoyed it. Um, and then, uh, uh, the last thing that I sat down and, uh, watched was I went through the four Futurama movies cause I finished up season f- production season four, um, and went into the four movies. And, uh, I, I mean, Bender's big score is still my favorite of the four, um, but I I will tell you that I think that my order has changed because it used to be Bender's big score, Into the Wild Green Yonder, Beast with a Billion Backs, and then Bender's game, and now I feel like I want to flip Bender's game into third place because Beast with a Billion Backs, for whatever reason, this time wasn't working for me. It's really funny. It's still a very solid story, um, but it feels like it's the most Isolated emotionally of the four, it always it feels like the uh, the other three are aiming for a uh, some kind of emotional closure with some of the characters, or at least attempting to hit some sort of sort of nerve. And Beast with a Billion Backs is just a really fun sci-fi story. Um, the only reason why I would hesitate to make this absolute is because Bender's Games third act is. Uh, a, a sudden shift into the dungeon or into the Lord of the Rings parody that it becomes that you only get like a good 20 or like 30 to 35 minutes of it as a compared to the rest of the uh, story, which takes place in the future uh, and not in Bender's mind. So it's, it's kind of a weird toss up, but Bender's game Bender's big score and into the wild green yonder are still those top two for me, uh, hands down. Uh And then the last thing that I watched, um, uh, I have a friend in filmmaking named John Strellick who's made some wonderful films and he started going into more of a YouTube series territory and he started making this show called I've Got Them Pegged and then I got to watch a copy of it in advance. And it's coming to YouTube and, um, it stars some friends of ours, Jenny Reed and, uh, Larissa Pruitt. And it deals with this woman. It's set, it's set to look like a VHS video diary in the 1980s and it stars a it stars Jenny as a woman who is um creating these video diaries and becomes convinced that her roommate is a serial killer and so she she uh enlists her brother played by John to um help her uh find a way to trap her roommate and uh find out who she's been killing um it's it's very funny um putting aside from the fact that I've known these guys for a while and the films that they make, like this was, this was just genuinely something funny that like I was able to kick back to like the humor is on point. Um, They found a way to shoot this around LA and uh, avoid anything that looked um, modern into 2021 realm. Uh, So it, it has the feel of a 1980s video kind of like somebody hanging around with a camcorder. It, It looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic for what they're going for. Um, there's a there's a scene in it where a woman is uh, uh like beating a cat to death in a bag. It's like a really dark joke, but it was just such a uh, a a funny capper on what the premise is in terms of going for this bleakly like pitch black comedy. Um, it's something I wasn't expecting to see out of like people that I've seen making uh, films for years. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's called, I've got them pegged. Um, I, 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 I encourage people to check it out once it's dropped. It's a very, very funny series. Um, and I think you're, you're going to have fun with this. So yeah. And that's what I've all, all I've been watching this week. Brad,
3: uh, not, not much for me. Uh, I watched two things. The first, uh, I just got done rewatching, uh Barb and Star go to Vista Vista del Mar because I watched it one time and fell asleep ten minutes in and then watched it a second time and then fell asleep twenty minutes in and then rewatched <laughs> it a third time and I couldn't Hulu wouldn't let me skip ahead so I had to watch it from the beginning again. And <laughs> I got so bored by like even by half an hour, I was like, is this movie even a comedy? And I quit. And then today I finally watched it int- entirely picking up from that spot, and the second half is way better than the first half <laughs> um
0: I heard it's like one of the best movies like or comedies that's come out in a long time
3: I mean it's not great you know it's it's, it's no twenty one jump street but yeah. um there's a right away this isn't a spoiler because it's the first thing that happens in the movie. There's like a doctor Evil character that is not in the trailer um it is so absurd and very much in that same vein. And there's like a plot to destroy the, to to like destroy Visto Del Mar uh, with killer mosquitoes. And uh, so there's that, and you're like, oh, this is going to be really zany. And then it takes so long to build up to eventually like the good stuff where you finally get that character's backstory. And the first thing of a whole movie that I laughed at was that, um, so the villain is, this woman who grew up with a skin condition and she can't be out in the sun. And so she got bullied. And so she's taking it out on Vista Del Mar for being humiliated. Um, but in the flashback, when she's a kid in school, she, you know, she's describing like the kids used to call me pale skin and white face and asshole. Um, I just thought that was funny. Um, and then like later on stars sitting on the beach, trying to like grasp with the fact that, uh, you know, the two main characters are oblivious to this whole destroy the beach plot. Um, and their drama is that they meet a guy who they both fall for. And then they secretly start to date him separately. And one's doing better than the other. Um, but Star is sitting on the beach at one point trying to contemplate like what she's done. And this like sentient crab walks up to her and he's got the voice of Morgan Freeman. But he called himself Morgan Fre- uh, Friedmund. <laughs> and he's just like just he's just like Morgan Freeman giving her wisdom and then he just walks back out into the sea. Uh so that was really funny. So and yeah, stuff like that accelerates more towards the end. I was like, "Ah, oh, the beginning of the movie should have been like that." Uh, so yeah. Uh then the other thing I watched uh was before Black Widow. I saw a documentary called The Loneliest Whale, the search for Fifty Two which is um, a story about there's a rare whale that has been recorded at doing whale song at 52 Hertz. Whereas I forget what the uh, actual number is, but like most whale song of like any other whale is at a different, it's a a lower, I think it's just a lower number, but I forget what the number is. But the story is that because uh, it's communicating at this frequency, that no one's ever heard of before they're pretty sure that there's no other whales that he can, it can communicate with. So it's just swimming around, not be able to like talk to people or talk to other whales. So, um, there was a guy years ago who documented it as, as best he's could, And he recently died. So this filmmaker takes up the cause and they go on a seven day expedition to try and find it, um, uh, and validate that it is in fact a whale at all. Cause there's, they're suspicious that it's maybe submarine or like man-made. Um, and uh, the documentary is a little weird because right away without any kind of setup, it's from the documentarian's perspective. Like they're a character in it um, and they treat it as though they are well known, but like, like they're their own Jacques Cousteau.
0: I always think that's weird when a documentarian is in there.
2: It's, yeah. It it's tricky. It doesn't always work. Yeah, like that that felt odd, but
3: you know, it, he wasn't treating himself like a, like a big celebrity. It was just like, here's a person that I'm supposed to, I guess I'm supposed to know, but I don't. And he's he's the whole expedition is from his point of view instead of the general sense of like everyone involved is searching for this one whale. And like, yeah, there's other people there and they, they are characters, but um you know, it's it's just weird that he makes himself part of the story um and like you see them on camera parts you know um but yeah so they go on this expedition and you know there's ups and downs and uh a lot of time is padded with there's a part in the middle where they flash back to the history of whaling and so you see really graphic footage of like the really horrible things they did to catch whales um and did it quickly and efficiently and it's just awful um and how all that was derailed by the whale song album in the seventies. I think it was, Um, you know, before that they were just dumb animals. And then once they found out that whale song, you know, they're, they're smart, they communicate, they have their own language and then they put it on a vinyl record. And it's like, it was like the best selling like nature album of all time. Um, And then, you know, people took up the cause of save the
2: whales, um, which eventually became like a Star Trek movie. Um, I was going to say, if this uh, whale is only uh, singing song at certain frequency, I think that this isn't really a question about if it could communicate with whales. The question is, can it communicate with something that might destroy Earth in a couple of years?
3: (laughs) uh, Actually, it becomes uh, the next question is, like, is it lonely at all? Uh, Mm. Because it is it is uh, swimming with other uh, groups of whales, and it may just be a hybrid of like a blue whale and a humpback or something Hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily (laughs) alone but it just you know it's like someone has to have like has to communicate with sign language you know unless someone else knows it back you know they can't can't communicate so Um, but also you know what does an animal like that experience loneliness like a human would you know um, uh, and then another part of it is, uh, another chunk of it is dedicated to how much noise pollution the shipping lanes cause and divert the natural, uh, uh, paths of whales and aquatic life. Um, so at one point they're like really onto something. Like they find a, they, they divert course and they find another place where all the marine life is hanging out and they're recording it. And all of a sudden, you know, there's their audio file just spikes because this huge shipping transport comes through and just um, drowns everything out. And
2: then all that marine life just scatters. It's kind of like when an airplane um, is flying overhead, when you're trying to film something, it just, it just completely kills the mood. Yeah.
3: Uh, but yeah, then you can't read the waveform anymore because it's just spikes everywhere, you know?
2: yeah uh, that's like clipped to shit yeah it's
3: just, it's just covered like from top to bottom, like there's no nice. empty space because uh at that depth, like sound travels better underwater, which is why marine life communicates so well is because it the sound bounces off all that density, you know it's like mm-hmm. two to two atmospheres, three atmospheres as you go deeper, and so a whale can communicate with another one almost cross continental uh if they need to. Um And then, yeah, like a shipping boat will completely destroy, interrupt all that and wipe it out. And there's hundreds of thousands of shipping barges going back and forth across the world all at once, you know, at a single time. So uh, it's really disrupted the flow of everything. Um but Yeah. And then I won't spoil, you know, whether it's the loneliest one or not. Hmm. What's the uh, name of the doc again? The Loneliest Whale, The Search 52. I think it's actually like maybe an hour and a half. It's not that long.
2: Okay. It was that the uh, Alamo or? Is it the uh, Mayan? Oh, the Mayan? Okay. Cool. Yeah, it check might this be. Uh,
3: yeah. And then I watched Loki, which nice. after after being excited by episode four and feeling like, oh, cool, we're finally getting somewhere. Episode five drops. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess we're going to just sit around and explain this instead of moving forward. So it's not terrible. It's just, I, there was so much momentum in the episode before. And I feel like they got dragged down, um, spinning their wheels in, in episode five. So episode six, six is next. And, you know, it has to be good. It has to be a good for Nelly.
1: Be- I liked episode five. It was fun to see all the different versions of Loki interacting with each other.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, there's there there's moments in episode five. I mean I I mean I think as a series as a whole, the series is really great. And um yeah, it's um I mean you knew they're gonna build through uh crescendo, you know, <laughs> to, for a payoff and hopefully the payoff's gonna be really good. Um, I mean I, I have a feeling that <laughs> my theory is Loki is the bad guy throughout the whole thing um, because he that's all he does is be the bad guy and for him to be this lovey-dovey person I don't know I don't know if I buy it we'll see
3: yeah I'm not sure what's going on obviously there's a castle somewhere that they're on their way to and that'll give us our answers. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's fun seeing all the Lokis, but at the same time, like, I don't feel like we learned anything new in this episode that was furthering well, we
1: the plot. What? I said, we learned Mobius isn't dead. So that's good.
3: I mean, I figured when Loki was revealed that he didn't die from being uh, pruned. I assume Mobius wasn't dead either. So.
0: was yeah, funny. I was actually talking to one of my coworkers and he didn't watch the uh, end credit scene for episode four. So I was, we were talking at lunch and he says, man, I can't believe they would kill Loki. I said, oh, you, did you watch the credit scene? He says, "There's a credit scene. Said, <laughs> how said, do you not want to watch that?
3: <laughs> how do you like watch Marvel now and not just stay through the credits for everything? Like,
0: yeah. Even if there isn't one, you know?
3: Yeah. Like there's only been a handful of times that that's not, that's happened. Yeah.
1: Or at least just fast forward to the end just to double check.
3: Yeah, like you you know,
0: enjoy the music. I I think Loki's music's really good too.
3: Yeah, you're home. You can just fast forward through the credits. Like I I was watching Black Widow, and people are like leaving as soon as the first credits. I'm like, really?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it really that important to you?
3: Like (laughs) you can't wait another five minutes for anything? Like
2: I can read about it on the internet later.
0: So, yeah, that's what I watched this week. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, I watched Loki. Like I said, I I enjoyed it. I can't wait for the ending. Um, I I mean, if it's not Loki, I'm pretty sure they're setting up Kang the Conqueror because that big uh, smoke thing is something from the comics that's associated with Kang. Um, So we'll see. Um, Kang's story is really convoluted as well. So I don't know exactly what they're going to be shooting for. Um or what version of Kang they're gonna have.
1: But then again, everybody thought that WandaVision was setting up Sinestro and that didn't end up being... Uh, Mephisto. Whatever.
0: <laughs> wait, uh, wait, wait. Sinestro is Green Lantern. Mephisto is the devil. I mean, way different.
3: Is the castle um, Mephisto?
0: No. <laughs> um
3: is lucky I, Mephisto.
0: So that um that'd be sweet. The uh the big cloud thing um is imprisoning Kang in the comics. Uh in one of the Avengers comics I have. I forget his name, it's like Altroth or something. I thought it was something.
1: like Eliath or something. Yeah, Eliath. I, I
0: hell, remember hell yeah. it sounded
1: it sounded like uh Goliath or something.
0: Yeah, it's uh yeah, he's uh he's basically um Galactus or um, the other uh, bad guy in Green Lantern. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh... um, I watched uh, uh, a few things. Um, I showed my kid uh, Howard the Duck because I was trying to explain it to him and he looked at me like I was stupid. And I said, no, Kellen, it's a movie about a duck who lives in Duck World and he gets sucked to Earth and he knows, you know, Duck foo, and there's these alien monsters and i couldn't i couldn't describe it to him and so we watched it and he laughed at it he thought it was a fun movie um tonely that movie is all over the place and it's um there's some parts that are really fun i think the first 20 30 minutes of the movie are really great um and then it really drags down i know i've said it before the editing and pacing in the film is really off um
3: yeah it's like half an hour too long and yeah it yeah it's gets- way less fun halfway through
0: i agree and uh you know like i, I think the last time i watched this this on the podcast the um when they're riding in the airplane is just way too long oh yeah you know he's saying oh i'm gonna knock all the duck hunters off the boat their boats and tim robbins character in it's a total dickhead <laughs> and i don't get i don't know what he's trying to play in the film i mean leah thompson's great in it um I think the dude who does the voice work for Howard is really great. Um
3: Yeah, they're seeing, like it in-, in bed together was like really fun. And like yeah. I am totally sold that Howard the duck is a person.
0: Oh yeah. Um and in ultra HD, I the um the costume and the uh, animatronic for Howard, it looks so great. Um the feathers have more detail, um his clothes do uh when he talks, you can see the different um, colors of paint that they have in the, and the bill and how they blended it in. It looks really great, Um, but it really loses itself towards the end. But you also have Jeffrey Jones, who's really great as the bad guy. (laughs) I don't know. It's a really weird movie. Um, I'm always really torn on it because I, there's parts of me that really enjoy it uh, as growing up as a kid, but then there's, it's just, yeah, it's just 20 minutes too long, I think. Because I think it's an almost two hours. Yeah. I think they could have cut 20 minutes out of it.
3: Yeah, starting with that extended plane flight thing.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Start I, there. I think if they would have stuck with um, the kind of silly, uh, you know, where he's, you know, using duck foo and helping all that stuff. Because the added, I don't need anybody's help. And she leaves him and he goes on his own to find a job for like 10, 15 minutes. I don't know
3: yeah that's kind of a deviation too I'm sure with the plane you know they spent so much effort on it that they felt like hey we better put like all this in the movie
0: yeah and it feels like it's for the children that part you know what I mean where it's hey this is really silly um, but whatever uh, it's it's still kind of cool uh, I watched Kevin Smith's Silent But Deadly <laughs> it's the uh, stand up he did just before he had his massive heart attack I mean literally and I, what I love about watching Kevin Smith is, I think he tells stories so well, and he's really engaging, and he's funny, um, and I'm I'm a sucker for those kind of Kevin Smith films. Whether it's an evening with Kevin Smith or him just doing Q and As, I think he's really great at it. What was one of the um, stories
3: in this one? Because it popped up on my feed, and I was like, did I watch that yet or not?
0: Um, he talks about Bruce Willis calling him back. Um. Yeah, I think I've seen it. How yeah. his, how his wife visits him, or his wife makes him him take her on one of his like lecture tours. Um, his kid driving. Um, What's well, the story about Bruce Willis other. calling him back? Uh, well, Bruce Willis calls him out of the clear blue one day, <laughs> and because uh, he
3: has photos of him from like the cop out set or something.
0: Yeah, something like that. Yeah.
3: But it turns out to be the wrong and, Kevin. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's it's really uh, that's yeah, and he always and he calls his daughter Rose because he doesn't know his Kevin's daughter's name. Um, it's funny. I I like I, said, I just really love when Kevin Smith just kind of talks. Um, it it's fun. It's on uh, Prime Video, I think. If you want to check it out, hmm. uh, okay. I, I watched uh, the Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt and um, other people. Uh, Sam Richardson, who I do love from Veep, uh, is in it as well.
3: Oh, he's in, uh, in it. Werewolves Within.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's funny. Um, but the movie revolves around an alien race that invades Earth, and people come from the future to recor- re- uh, recruit people from the past to fight in this war, and everybody ends up has a chance to be drafted, and their tour of duty is seven days, and after seven days... They're randomly pulled back to where they, um, uh, to their previous life. Um, the story is really kind of stupid, um, but the aliens in it are really cool. And the action at point at some point are, is really cool. The script is really stupid. Like it's If you could pick a cliche of every action movie that came out in the 90s, it probably has a part in this film. Um, but I will say the aliens are really cool in it the the special effects look really great and it's one of those movies that was supposed to come out last year that cost about 200 million dollars and amazon bought for 200 million dollars so you can stream it um and it's it's cool that it you know if you really just want to watch it for free chris pratt's great in it um you know he plays a, a teacher who ends up being enlisted and he was previously in the army. So he's kind of the leader when he goes back and um, there's a bunch of other things going. I won't spoil it cause it's pretty new. I think it came out on Friday. Um, but if you want to see an action movie um, with really cool alien design story's kind of stupid. I definitely check it out. Um, that was fun. Um, and the last two things I watched is I watched uh fear street part one and fear street part two, which is uh the slasher anthology I guess on Netflix uh, based on R.L. Stein's Fair Street novels um, uh, the first one is from ni- it takes place in 1994 and it has some great uh, homages to Scream and horror films from that time uh, the soundtrack is really good um, the deaths are super violent and unexpected because you kind of root for these people and then they die in it and it's uh, it's kind of shocking that they would kill these people. Um, and uh, it tells the story of this cursed town um, because uh, which was uh, murdered in 1666 and she's cursed the town ever since. And the town was divided in two. One side is called Shadyville. The other side is Sunnyville, something like that. And uh, there's a lot of murders that happen on the bad side of town. And on the good side of town, everybody's great. Um, so there's this rivalry that's building up. Um, and, uh, you learn slowly that maybe the witch is still cursing people and is the one who's causing all these murders in town. Um, so, uh, the second part is called 1978 and it's basically a Friday, the 13th that, uh, so it happens at uh, a camp. Um, There's lots of violence, there's sex, and uh, it's just really cool. It it all ties together. If you like slasher films and you want to see violence, uh, you should definitely see it. Uh, There's a part in uh, 1978 where the killer is hitting this dude in the head over and over with an axe, and it splits his head every time he hits him. Um, It's pretty gruesome. and um, So I'm excited to see the last part goes back to 1666. So, interested to see where it goes. And that's what I watched this week. This week on Real Nerds Podcast, we saw Black Widow. Corinne, do you recommend Black Widow?
1: You know, I was... I I only saw it the one time. I would be willing to give it a second chance. But I have to say that after just one viewing. I was underwhelmed. Um, this wasn't, I guess I don't know what I was expecting, but it kind of wasn't it. Um, this movie is very, very dark, especially for an MCU film. Um, kind of depressing, to be honest. And, I mean, uh, Florence Pugh just kind of steals the show, which is a little unfortunate because the. Scarlett Johansson has really made this character amazing in the other films she's been in. And of course, in her solo movie, you know, Florence Pugh is the one stealing the spotlight, and she does an excellent job, so it's just kind of unfortunate. It's like, dang it, we waited so long to get a Black Widow movie, and even in her own movie, she's kind of upstaged. But uh yeah, I I have some problems with it, but I mean, if you probably already saw it anyway, so People
2: are going to do what they're going to do. Zach? I really like this movie. Um, I think part of it definitely had to do with the fact that in spite of the fact that the last year and change provided a wonderful opportunity for us to watch a lot of a a very diverse slate of movies um, that we probably otherwise wouldn't have reviewed normally on the show um i really did uh love watching a marvel movie in a theater again uh and uh what better way to do it than an imax uh the movie itself i think it works pretty well as its own standalone uh movie that falls within the continuity um i liked watching scarlett johansson take the lead on it i liked the addition of not just to her mythos, but to the character building that we have with her "quote unquote" family. We'll talk about that later on after the trailer. Um, I think pretty much everybody is giving an A game performance in the film. Um, I I I I've thought more about the third act, and I think that the third act actually does work for me uh, pretty solidly in terms of what its thematic aiming is going for. And I think, as far as as far as a Marvel movie is concerned, I kind of liked that. Because Black Widow is such a spy character, I appreciated having something uh, outside of the norm of uh, Tony Stark and uh, even Steve Rogers, and kind of watching this this uh, this very unique angle into Marvel uh, kind of unfold and explore it a little bit. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend it, and I actually will recommend it in IMAX because the sequences that are in full IMAX in this film are very fun to watch. So yeah,
0: Brad.
3: I had some issues with it, but overall, I had fun. Um, a lot of the fun comes from the interfamily banter, uh, not so much the Marvel plot. So, as I as I actually read, so yeah, uh, it's fun. I people, if you haven't seen it, you probably should. So,
0: yeah, I think this movie is pretty great. I think uh, the family element is really dynamic. I I actually think this movie has to be dark, based on Um, who Natasha is and where she came from and for her to get over the past I think that's where it needs to be Um, yeah everybody does a really standout job in this film and here is the trailer for Black Widow you should go see it
3: I tell people my sister moved out west you're a science teacher
1: your husband he renovates houses You're thinking about moving, but you're going to wait until the interest rates go down.
3: That's not my story. (laughs) Before I was an Avenger, I made mistakes. And a lot of enemies. He's called Science
2: Taskmaster. He controls the Red Room. They're manipulated
1: fully conscious but no choices i should have come back for you how many others are there enough we have to go back to where it all started so they never do that to anyone again
0: we're family we fight with you
2: You
3: won't win. I've always found it best
2: not to look into the past.
1: Okay, you got a plan or shall I just stay dug and cover? But my plan was to drive us away. Well, your plan sucks.
0: At some point, we all have to choose between what the world wants you to be and who you are. my choice I'm done running Here's what's gonna happen natasha don't slouch i'm not slouching you're going to get the back hunch you listen to your mother oh my god this pop, pop. all Easy. right enough all of you i
3: didn't say anything that's not fair
2: when you say dark this is r- darker than i thought marvel would go know,
3: yeah, it's funny as i didn't think it was that dark at all for what the subject was
1: yeah this is ultimately a movie about human trafficking I never thought I'd
0: say that about an MCU film. Yeah. I I mean, it's not, I I think it has to be because we already knew with the glimpses of Natasha's past that it wasn't going to be a a happy story. If she was ever able to resolve her origin. Mm -hmm. Um, They, they hinted at it a few times. Um, And yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the story is, is, Natasha gets a package while she's on the run and she goes back to one of her safe houses where she finds her sister. And then they have to um, save the other widows. Basically. Um, they have to
2: find the red room and destroy it.
0: Yeah. And it has a fun uh, opening. I think, you know, it takes place in, is it 95? I think that's right. Yeah. 95 uh, in Ohio, in Ohio where there, her parents are a sleeper cell for russia and uh they're spies and they're found out by shield and it kind of has a fun hey this isn't what it seems and then it takes a you know a really dark turn where you know the red guardian doesn't care about what happens to his girls he says oh no you're just just part of Whatever, and he lets them take away. Oper-
2: yeah, you're just part of yeah. this decoy operation. You you don't mean anything. But he, I mean, as we find out later, it doesn't. They're not it's, even his girls.
3: Not,
2: yeah, but yeah. It, and you also, but he also find out that the Red Guardian is not as callous as that as the movie goes on. But
3: did uh did Captain Marvel take place in ninety five or ninety one?
0: Mm, ninety five, mm. because uh, I would say ninety five because. Uh, stan lee had a script for all rats
2: that's what i thought yeah yeah so it's it's running concurrently in that beginning segment and the for 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 anybody wondering when this movie takes place it it's um after uh yeah. civil war yeah
1: and before infinity war yep because at the end of the movie she dyes her hair blonde and cuts it short
0: yeah and she gets the vest it's a cute story Oh god, (laughs) that!
2: I love that scene where they're in the car and she's and um, Florence Pugh is talking about how she's never bought anything for herself and she's just praising the hell out of this vest.
0: It's it's just a lovely moment. There's pockets for everything.
1: Um. (laughs) That was a great scene.
3: I want to bring this up before I forget. Um, So Taskmaster turns out to be the a girl that she let die in a bombing. And the daughter of Ray
2: Winstone's character.
3: Yeah, she's come back. She's been programmed to kill uh, and mimic uh, Avengers fighting styles perfectly. Um, You know, they make a big deal about how she's scarred from the explosion. But later on the movie, uh, they Black Widow and her mom turn the tables on Ray Winstone because they have Mission Impossible phase technology I'm like, why don't I just give the daughter that technology so she can have whatever face she wants and she doesn't have to feel like an outcast all the time.
0: <laughs> well, because he doesn't really care about his daughter. He's using her as... Right, but know, after...
3: Means of an end. After <coughs> the deprogrammer and send her on her way with the rest of the widows, I'm just like, why don't you throw
2: her a Mission Impossible mask? So. They could
1: still <laughs> do that. Melina presumably still had hers.
2: Yeah. We don't, we don't see what happens after the other le- widows leave. So for all we know, that does happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting take on Taskmaster. Taskmaster is a really cool villain. Um, What's
3: what's Taskmaster supposed to be? Because I'm not familiar with that in the
0: comics. So in it, he is. I mean, he learns and studies um, the Avengers. He's able to mimic anybody's fighting style, so he's really tough to beat in combat. You kind of have to outsmart him. So it's basically the kind of the same story. He's not programmed. He's just has a superhuman ability to mimic fighting styles.
3: And he's not. A, and he's a dude. And he's not connected to the red room
2: normally. Yes. Yeah. R- Ryan, I have a. I have a question for you. Do Do you yes. care about these changes they made to Taskmaster?
0: No, I don't. I don't, Good. I don't <laughs> care as long as it fits this narrative they're telling. Mm-hmm. Because, to me, Taskmaster's not off limits. Say as someone as Superman, where Superman, you have to have. Him come to Earth and be raised by the Kents. I don't mm-hmm. care, like, you know, what he looks like, but that story element has to be the same. Someone like Taskmaster, I mean, at the end of the day, he, who turns out to be a she, um, has the same powers. You know what I mean? He, she can mimic fights and mm-hmm. is a skilled fighter and isn't necessarily superhuman, but learns how to fight. Speaking as a speaking as a
2: Marvel novice who saw a lot of people complaining about Taskmaster, I was just like, I don't know. It worked for me. I mean, they made it an emotionally resonant part of the film to exemplify the fact that Ray Winstone's character is the biggest asshole on planet Earth, and this particular story
0: just shows that he doesn't even care about his daughter. He will brainwash her to meet at the ends of whatever he wants to activate every widow in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's. I'm okay with them changing stuff as long as it fits the narrative. Because yeah. here's the thing with comic books too, is there's different variations of every character, which Loki proved. <laughs> so, um, you know, just, they, just re- a place and, a different place. Yeah.
2: And they, and they retcon everything all the time anyway. So it's like, it's like, who cares? You just go back to the yeah. comic books you like.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I don't think Taskmaster is, you know, a sacred villain by any means. He's cool. I'd never heard
2: of him.
0: (laughs) I I mean, this is how much Taskmaster is really means. Uh, Right now, he's in Spider-Man, and him and Black Ant, who's a bad guy who's like Ant-Man, but he's Black Ant, um, they just quip off. Black? Wow. No, because he's uh, like uh, his costume is. He's red and black. Um, And so they just quip off each other, and they're really kind of goofy. So, I mean... Yeah. It doesn't really matter. He's not a sacred one to me. Right. Yeah, before, I right. mean, if if there's a Taskmaster fan out there who says, fuck you guys, if you only knew how great Taskmaster was, then I'll say, okay.
2: <laughs> I, I will say, please calm down, sir. Put down the knife. Um, but um, I, 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 by the way, Ray Winston is... Uh, I, I love when he pops up in things. And in this particular film, like, he's, he's doing a wonderful bad guy role here. Like, he only gets, uh, one or two, like, big moments, but he really shines through as, like, this just utter asshole. Like, it is, like, it's a solid performance. Um, and David Harbour, the Red Guardian. Holy shit. That's a movie I want. <laughs> this, this, this failed counterpart to Captain America from the Soviet side. <laughs>
1: Um, Maybe he'll get his own Disney Plus show someday.
2: That'd be amazing if they actually did that. Ryan, like how Red Guardian familiar were you? Because I had no Uh, idea about him at all. Not
0: very at all. In fact, I want to say the Red Guardian I know is in the Defenders. And it's a she, but I could be wrong. I might be mixing up Guardians.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's just like Captain America. It's a title that gets passed down to different people.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing so. Mm. Um, I, the, the scene where he's in the jail and he's
2: bragging to all the people in the prison. And the one guy says to him, like, he's just like, well, Captain America was born. what like was, fr- was still frozen when you claim you fought him. And he just crushed his arm. <laughs> <laughs> and it, they hold on it. So you barely see the arm has completely been like this. Like dislocated and dismembered, and he, you just they just hold on this shot of David Harbour just looking at him, going like, He's like, Have you learned your lesson here today? (laughs) It's it's a lovely
0: shot. I, uh, my my comic book history mind is still intact. Yes, the Red Guardian I'm aware of is from the Defenders, and her name is Tanya Balinski. Um, okay, but there's been like five of them, (laughs) so. But yeah, you're right. He's basically the Russian Captain America, where mm. they inject him with someone with super serum soldier so, super soldier serum and they get those powers.
2: I wonder if in the MCU if they specify that it's the same formula that Erskine had in um First Avenger. Or if it's know. um something that the Soviets developed on their own. Because of the only the only other time that they had attempted to create the serum again was with banner in oh eight hulk and that was the impetus for ross going after him but after yeah i mean that, this
0: my guess so, is the yeah. russian version of the super soldier is probably different
2: like it's got to have something different about it like i don't yeah. know <laughs> david harper's character is much more depressed in this movie than captain america as it seems or like or at least like a little bit more um pathetic so maybe it just gives you more self-doubt i don't know <laughs> like
0: uh, yeah i i do love the um the moment where <laughs> elena is they're in that store and she says why do you pose like this and flip your hair back
2: <laughs> i love how that pays off when she does great. the when she does the pose herself and she's just like oh no 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 <laughs> <laughs> um and they have that thread of, um, Elena's favorite song being American Pie as she's a kid. And there is that lovely moment where Red Guardian starts singing American Pie to her, and, uh, before shit goes, before the, before Rachel Vise's, uh, compound gets invaded. It's a very, yeah. like, the, the movie's full of very nice, small moments. Like, it, it, it seems like this story, because it doesn't have the gravity of, <laughs> the Avengers fully attached to it because at this point, the Avengers in different forms are divided. And at least one faction is going into hiding after civil war. It, it gives, it gives this moment for downtime with a character that really was ultimately a supporting character throughout a 20, 20, 20 movie series and giving even if she's not the center of attention in every scene, like it is really we're, we're in her world this time. And so there's like, there's something about the appreciation of that coming to fruition in a movie that works on pretty much every level that you would expect a Marvel movie to on top of which, like because it's not dealing explicitly in people with like meta human powers or whatever, it ends up being like in many instances, a really cool spy flick um, yeah. And that prison break scene with Red Guardian is wonderfully shot. Like that's some beautiful work there. Like that looks fantastic. Especially in IMAX and they blow it up and you you're getting all the different angles of this thing breaking down. Like it's 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 lovely to look at. Agreed. And I'm going to take it as assuming that um, I I mean, I walked out of this movie with Ryan and I was just like, you son of a bitch. And I've got like three fucking series to catch up on within a week.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure this was supposed to come out, obviously, before Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's what I gathered
2: because of uh, Miss Julia Louis-Dreyfus popping. up. Yeah, but she's great.
0: Like I I love her. And I think um, if you haven't seen Veep, see Veep. She's fantastic in it and um, she it almost seems like they're forming a dark avengers and that the next avengers movie is going to be avengers versus dark avengers or thunderbolts or whatever you want to call them
2: doesn't Um, norman osborne run dark avengers
0: or is that does yeah so
2: we're 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 getting that spider-man that that spider that spider-man 3 with all those uh returning spider-man ryan hopefully Wait, wait, do you, do do I dare hope that Willem Dafoe will run the Dark Avengers?
0: <laughs> don't don't yeah. break my spirit, Ryan. Just tell me there's hope. <laughs> Unless, um, I mean, and he better die at some point and say, "Dark, avenge me," and then we'll be set.
2: <laughs>
0: Dark, avenge me.
2: <laughs> Just want this, guys. Come on. we have been begging for a year now. If you can give Ryan all the criterions he wants, give me Willem Dafoe
0: in this new Spider-Man movie. <laughs> I'm begging you. Yep. Anything else, fellow nerds, you want to add?
3: How did they get those mattresses up on top of the rooftops for the snipers?
2: Well, being discreet. Any, any ideas? In the, in the scene where she... Gets in the, the, in the spell broken. Scenes.
3: Yeah. When they're in, I don't in know. Budapest
2: or something.
0: Um Maybe they're already there. I don't know. I was just like, man, that's those I are huge.
1: That, I think that scene's in Morocco, Brad. The safe houses in Budapest.
3: Yeah, Morocco, whatever. Either way. Uh Budapest.
0: Budapest. Budapest. No, it's Budapest. <laughs> <laughs> um, See, that's a joke from the movie. Yep.
1: Uh-huh. I don't know. I just had a lot of problems with this movie and it would take me too long to get into all of them, but I'll just say, I felt like the writing was really weak or at least not as emotionally poignant as I would have wanted. And I think just, I felt like black widow should have been a little bit different. Like just coming out of the events of civil war, she, I don't know. I felt like she should have reacted differently or talked differently. She just felt so empty. And I mean, maybe that was intentional, but...
2: there, There is something in the opening that I wish... I wish the movie might have been a little longer, if only to give more reaction to how she feels in a world where now she's on the run um, after having this family. But I guess it gets resolved by the end when she realizes that she has to go you know look look for the others that have been in hiding and try to reform this family within her own mind but
1: that that part that feels a little out of character for me is just the fact that i okay i guess steve you know he's like one of her you know i think the two avengers she's the closest with are steve and clint and steve's on the run she probably doesn't know where he is or what he's doing but she knows that clint is in prison And the fact that, as we hear about in this movie, Clint was very um, important in, like, getting her out of, you know, whatever organization she worked for, the Red Room or something else, and that he helped her defect to S.H.I.E.L.D. and that he was the one who gave her the second chance to turn her life around and to eventually become an Avenger. I feel like she should have been gung-ho from the beginning about, like, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to like break Clint out of this prison. I mean, she was the one who effectively switched sides at the very end of the fight in civil war. Mm -hmm. So it's like, she, she turned her back on the friends that she had sided with to protect the other friends that she felt like maybe they were in the right or she liked them better or whatever it was, you know, she stuck her neck out to save Steve and his friends (laughs) And now she's like a fugitive. So I don't know. I just I think she says something at the beginning of this movie, like, oh, I'm used to being alone or I work better alone or something. And I'm like, just feels a little out of character for that. And the whole it I mean, I know, Zach, you were talking earlier about like retcons, but this whole like the family thing really felt like a retcon to me. Um, just because in end game, it is such a critical moment for her when she's like, you know, the Avengers, this is my family and she is willing to sacrifice herself because of her family and the whole aftermath where Hawkeye is like, no, we were her family. And it's like, first of all, I feel like she should like Hawkeye for sure would have known about this fake family that she had. She should have mentioned them at some point to him. But also, if we were going to go this route of like, oh, she actually had this family all along, then I think we needed to find out whether they died in the blip or the snap or whatever you want to call it. Like, if she's found out, like, yeah, all three, you know, my mom, my dad, and my sister were all snapped away, and that's contributed to her wanting to save everybody and wanting to die for the Soul Stone, (laughs) you know, that should have been in the movie somewhere, or we should have gotten that information somehow but right now it's just like she in endgame it just her whole thing was about how the avengers were her family and now we find out she had this whole whole other family the whole time
2: but she was disillusioned by that family from the get-go because of the fact that it 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 the the notion of it being a family even though the emotional crux of it is both her and elena saying it was real to me is that at a certain point it became disillusioned for her, especially within the realm of the Black Widow training in the Red Room, which then allows her to form some form of trust, not just with somebody like Clint, but then people like Tony and Steve and um, uh, Bruce. And when you lose that, when you see it divided, it recalls and triggers for her the same dissemblance of a family being separated like it was when she was young. Her seeing that reunification at the end indicates that she finds some form of way to go after fixing the Avengers or at least finding a way to unify the family for herself and her own peace of mind. I mean, it works for me. I will say also that 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 stinger scene indicates to me that the Hawkeye series um, in some form or fashion might be able to elaborate upon any of your concerns um, if I had to take a stab in the dark because it's not like the Hawkeye series would ignore um hawkeye's relationship to natasha um it would in in fact be at a huge emotional crux given the fact that he was there when she sacrificed herself
1: right and i mean maybe that'll get addressed sometime down the road but if we're looking at just this movie i feel like we didn't we did not get the emotional payoff that i was wanting i guess Hmm. really it boils down to
2: I wonder if it's a movie that'll sit with you better after more viewings. Um, But I mean, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to see, but um, I,
1: I mean, I wasn't dying to go back into the theater either. So I don't know.
2: Hmm. That's fair.
1: And Um, I did look on uh, Florence Pugh's IMDB page and she is uh, listed as being in the Hawkeye series for eight episodes. Boom! whether she's gonna be in all eight episodes i don't know but that's just what she's credited for right now
2: let's hope let's hope i want more forms elena is a very fun character in the movie and i I liked watching her story unfold
1: yeah she needs to be in more things for sure
2: Florence Pugh has been like slowly creeping in through the scene. Like fighting with my family is a solid movie that I did not expect to like. I walked out of that going like, holy shit. I give a shit about <laughs> Paige, the wrestler. That's awesome. Cause I'm not a, a huge wrestling guy. And um, she's great in Midsummer. If you can, um, if you are a person who can acquiesce to the visual style of Ari Aster and enjoy what he's doing with horror films, she's really good in that movie. And she's good in Little Women too. So
1: she's, she's making probably- her way through. Probably the best part of Little Women. I think she gave Amy a lot more depth than she would have gotten in other versions, for sure.
2: That's what it seemed like from the way the movie played out. Is that like there was more? There was more folk There was a, just as much focus on her. If anything, it felt like Emma Watson was tossed to the side in that movie. But I, I don't know because I'm not i uh, I've never read Alcott's novel, so.
0: Anywho. Rad. What's the
2: next Marvel movie after this?
0: Ed, <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you want to say anything? I, I'm good.
2: One
1: okay. more uh, thing I'll add is that just in general, all the post-Endgame MCU projects I've been kind of mildly apathetic toward. I wasn't a big fan of Far From Home. I mean, I like WandaVision, although I think the ending was a little like muddled. Like It should have been a little... Should have been written a little better. Um, Wasn't a huge fan of Falcon Winter Soldier. I'm not super on board with Loki yet. Although obviously that can change with the sixth episode. Like maybe that ties it all together. And it's like, ah, we finally get the payoff we've been wanting. And then Black Widow. And it's like, I don't know. I think like, (laughs) you know, the stakes, like what are the stakes anymore? Half of all life was out of existence for five years. Where do you and they solved time travel? Like, where do you go from there? <laughs> I think it well,
0: this <laughs> is more
1: interior storytelling, which is, I think, why WandaVision works so well for me is because we really get to see like Wanda's journey of grief and Falcon Winter Soldier was so cluttered with like a lot of other stuff going on. But you know, Bucky and Sam's journeys were probably the most solid parts of that show, and now it's like what, you know, what did we, what was the big emotional takeaway for Black Widow on an emotion, you know, from uh, Black Widow's perspective, you know, it's just all of, okay, so she made peace with her, her old adopted family, and now she's like, gonna go rescue the Avengers. Wow. (laughs) Like, I guess I wanted more, you know?
0: Well, this is the thing I'll always pose to you, Karin, because this is you complaint about a lot of things. Well, I mean, what more do you want? It's already a prequel. So you know that eventually she's going to have to go and save the other Avengers. And the emotional payoff is she learned that she already had a family and she had one previously. I mean, I don't know where you possibly go or what else they possibly could have done. This and movie- Spider-Man Far From Home is amazing.
1: That's what you think. But this movie teased us with two very, very good prequel ideas with the opening where you see the family you know they were the sleeper cell and then they flee custody or whatever like that whole storyline could have been like a movie unto itself like that could have been the Black Widow prequel movie or the story about how she defected to S.H.I.E.L.D. and how she you know like the whole thing with Dreykov's daughter and all that so
0: I mean it would have been a cool movie for you to watch for them being in America and learning how to like eventually run away one day
1: I mean, maybe that's not the entire story, but at least, like, just that era, you know, her being with this fake family, I don't know, some, there's something there. I mean, what not the TV show The Americans, like, a big hit? Like, give me more of the spy stuff and less of the superhero stuff. Like, that's one of the things that makes Black Widow so interesting is that she does have this kind of subtle style to her of where she goes in, into an interrogation and it looks like she's powerless, but she's actually the one in control the whole time.
2: I, I would, I would, I would say, Corinne, that because I agree with you in the respect that, like, if you've got a character like Black Widow, you want to lay more into the spy and less into the the superhero element of it. I will say though, as somebody who walked out of that film, I felt like there was a perfect balance and not relying on the meta human nature of everything, like Red Guardian and to an extent taskmaster i guess are your only real two big superheroish characters and if you were to clock their time compared to the other time dedicated to spy stuff it's 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 a it's a wide vast difference i don't know if maybe i'm maybe i'm defending the movie a little too much but i, I mean i did enjoy it to the point where i will say that i do feel like I did get more of that difference that I had been wanting out of a Marvel movie in in a lot of respects, and I, but I will say that you posed an idea that I would love to see if they could either find a way to do this as a series or use some of the do whatever you've got to do tech wise to bring it that far back to talk about Natasha defecting to Shield because that would be an awesome story to see on screen, um, but given the fact that we were given a story that provides an emotional trilogy from this to infinity war to end game for Natasha, I think is, is very cool in the same respects that we got that similar trilogy with, um, the Hulk with Ragnarok, uh, infinity war and end game. Like the, the splintered off characters are getting their own emotional trilogies, um, stacked into the middle of what is essentially the set MCU. Um, it's kind of cool to see. But,
0: yeah. Uh, next week on Real Nerds, we are seeing Space Jam, the new legacy. Yeah. Ryan. Yep. Ryan, they look like they're yes. actually doing Looney Tunes things in this movie. It's it, it sure. It's sure. It, I, I think but, the first Space Jam is Henry, Henry, don't do it. I think the first Space Jam is super <laughs> overrated. The first Space Jam movie
2: only allows the Looney Tunes to be Looney Tunes for approximately two minutes. And the other times they're just cowering in fear over the monsters taking them over. And Michael I don't James
0: know. In them. the latest preview, LeBron James says, Granny's making a martini at half. And she says, haters got to hate. And then I haven't watched it, but it's been popping up on my feed of a porky pig rap. I don't know about this one, and but concert- you never know. You know what? I go into every movie expecting it to be good, so we'll see. Considering that the Looney Tunes have
2: always embraced the pop culture that's within their sphere since their start in the 30s, this falls exactly in line with what they are able to do. As long as they are able to actually do Looney Tunes things, like buzz around and bounce off of walls and do things, that's what I care about.
3: It's pretty dark that the villain kidnaps LeBron's son and then threatens to kill him if he doesn't play the game. Like, holy shit.
2: I mean, those are that higher makes... stakes than Danny DeVito's character in the first yeah. one. <laughs> well, actually, I take that back. The stakes in the first one are slavery, which is a loaded, which is a loaded theme to throw into Space Jam.
1: Yeah, but those are cartoon characters, so
2: it doesn't matter. It's know, still a really we weird theme to stick happen. there.
1: <laughs> we know it's not going to happen. They'll be fine. They're the Looney Tunes.
2: If Wayne Knight doesn't make a, a cameo appearance in this movie, I will be extremely disappointed,
1: though. I am interested to hear if they reference like the whole episode with Michael Jordan. Like, I'm assuming that takes place within the same universe, so maybe they'll be like, oh, yeah, this is just like that thing with Michael a couple years ago.
2: I have a hunch that Michael Jordan makes a cameo appearance at the very end. Like, They, 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 they can't ignore that. <laughs> that
0: opportunity.
1: That'd be awesome.
0: And if he doesn't, he'll take it personally. Um, that's a fucking <laughs> deep cut right there uh, <laughs> last dance jokes are
2: fun <laughs> uh, then... and then
0: after that <laughs> is it uh, 10 anniversary spectacular Brr? yep coming up woo thank you everybody for listening and I'll talk to you guys soon bye Bye.
1: that's all folks but deyabba but deyabba dey,
3: Save it for next week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got Brad to say
0: something at the end of the episode. We win.
3: I was going to say uh, it's actually Space Jam, Snake Eyes, and then the five hundred. So,
2: yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's right. Henry Golding hour for um, Miss uh, Corinne.
1: I'm supposed to be out of town that weekend, so shit. <laughs> turning
2: your, just, I mean, just like Dom turned his back on family in FA, you are turning your back on Golding. I mean I'm
1: I'll, shocked i probably see it I just won't be able to talk about it With y'all or I'll just have to send in Like an audio clip or something
2: Well then it's settled now I have to be the president Of the Golding Fan Club now
1: I'm, I gotta tell you for As few things as the guy's been in Like he's already getting top billing Like he's got his own standee in the movie theater And Henry Golding underneath And I'm like damn Like the devil works hard but Henry Golding's agent Works harder <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. See y'all later. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast.